Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, I'm very excited because tomorrow I'm going to... I, I wanted to be marching last week. Uh, but I was unable because because of family commitments. Uh, I mm-hmm. thought my whole family should have just gone to the tax day march, but other everybody else was like, "It's Easter. We're doing Easter on Saturday because of your teaching schedule, so you should come." <laughs> Whatever. Well, they don't really you don't really have any ways out there, do you? No, <laughs> not really. I did. Uh, I made it to third to last place in the egg toss, um, and okay. the egg broke on me this year, which is fair because I'm not a good partner. Do you know about egg toss? Do you know what this is? Yes, I know what an egg toss okay. is. Okay. Uh, well, because yeah, we use raw eggs. Some people apparently use like candy eggs or like hard boiled eggs, which that would mm-hmm. hurt, right? I think so. Yeah, I feel like that would hurt. Yeah, but I tend to be. I'm. I'm. I, I'm not a. I'm not an athlete, as all of our listeners should know by now. So uh, I tend to end up, you know, missing and doing a bad job, and my partner gets egged. So it was only fair that this year it was me. But this week, I'm very excited to be going to the science march and holding up posters and yelling about you know science and things uh, so that is my big weekend plan i'm very excited are you participating in the science march or are you like doing normal hopefully not not, not having to protest against our political system stuff like <laughs> I mean, like you know normal person stuff Oh, I think it's normal person stuff to go out and march, uh, but I'm probably not going to go march um, tomorrow. A lot of it kind of hinges on the weather, which is expecting a lot of rain tomorrow because mm. it's Seattle. <laughs> That'll um, happen. <laughs> that that happens. Um, like the forecast for the like the rest of the week is 80% chance of rain basically for the next seven days. Uh, so if there's rain, I probably I won't go, and I'm probably not going to go either way just because I'm really tired and. I need to clean a lot. So I'm going to use science to clean things. That, hey, that works too. That's vinegar a- and baking soda, just like we learned in school. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little disconcerted by, well, I'm very actually disconcerted by the different comments I've seen from former March organizers who left the science march committees out of uh, frustration with their handling of diversity and not, you know, putting that to the front or the, these people who have left the organizing committees feeling like that wasn't at the forefront, at least of the DC March. So I'm hoping in Chicago that will be less of an issue. Uh, Hopefully there'll be more representation and lots of awesome sciencey things. We'll see. That should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to be, we're going to be talking a little bit later in the show about Bill Nye's new, show new science show on netflix so more nerdery to come with that Woo! would you have anticipated a return for bill nye the science guy at <laughs> this stage of your like when you were a kid you're like you know what i think is gonna happen in 20 years <laughs> yes well i mean everything from 20 years ago is back so i think it only makes sense that he's re-emerged uh no it's it's not surprising at all i think he's just he's got a very forceful personality and he obviously has really good management as well so (laughs) i think those two things combined with um a disinclination towards intellectualism provides a really good opportunity for him to fill a niche which is what he does very well 
<laughs> I enjoyed the pause before <laughs> some of your word choice there. That was that was entertaining. Um, I'm not his biggest fan. Like I think he's very good uh-huh. at what he does, but I'm just not like a huge fan. So, but I also Fair feel enough. that way about De- DeGrasse Tyson. So, oh. meh. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Um, speaking of all things old or new, we get, we heard that the X Files is renewed again for another. Oh, it's another mini series, right? Yeah, yeah. It's another like little mini series. Yeah, to which we all go. Oh boy, I hope Chris Carter isn't writing all of them again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But I mean, I I know I wanted to know how that clip, ridiculous cliffhanger from last year ended. That's what everybody cares about, right? Is the right serialized plot. That's what we all yep. look for in the X Files. Yep. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I mean, it's not bad news, but no, but it's I can it's always not, not watch. News. Yeah, no. is that is that really an option? Yeah, of course it's an okay. option. It's a hundred percent an option. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, um, I'm more excited, I guess, about younger being renewed. Though they like they need to stop with the the, the end of the last season. The best friend found out the secret, so Hillary Duff found out the secret. So that means that hopefully. Because, like, I was, like, the next season coming was season four. It got renewed for season five. So, right. like, two more years of, like, come on, guys. Come on. But, Which um, confused me initially because I forgot that seasons two and three both aired last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, but I thought, but I, I masked this, and we should only be on season three. So yeah. I was really confused, but then I looked it up because the internet's a thing. The internet is a thing. Um, also a thing now, apparently, a Wheel of Time show, which, oh, okay. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't yeah. read the books. I'm sure thing. some people are very excited. Very excited. And people are also very excited about Lock and Key happening over at Hulu with Carlson Cuse. But the thing for me is, like, my positive thoughts on Cuse from Lost, uh, th- like, they're outweighed by indifferent or negative thoughts about some of his other shows so right and he's everywhere now yeah it doesn't really mean much to me that he's in charge over there yeah and i haven't read the books either but i know some people really love it and this is a project that's been like in various stages of development and lots of places yeah isn't it like a pilot that they made that is apparently really good that never got picked up i want to say it was an fx thing yeah. i think or i no, i'm thinking of something else comic booky that was fx but there was there was like some development on lost uh, lock and key that never came to fruition. But, Are you thinking yeah. of Runaways? No, I'm not thinking of Runaways. Because that um, was briefly an FX thing, and now it's a Freeform thing, right? Y- yes, but also Freeform has Cloak and Dagger and Mermaids right now. So, yeah, yeah. I can't do the <laughs> mental gymnastics of all the different superhero properties that were and again are or maybe there's too many of there them. Are. Um, but the big TV news for me this week that had me doing a little jig the other day is Bill O'Reilly being out at Fox News. And yes, he should have been out a long time sooner. And yes, he's getting millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars in his ex- exit package. And yes, he'll just get another job somewhere else after he's waited whatever, you know, our culture de- deems is a long enough time. But I'm still taking the freaking win. OK, I'm taking the win this week. <laughs> No, and it's a win to take. It's just frustrating that it's because the New York Times reported on it and a bunch of sponsors pulled it, which is the reason why. Not because, oh, he was a serial sexual predator. Oh, well, I guess we shouldn't hire, pay this man anymore. No, no, it's because he was going to lose money for us. Yeah. And uh, capitalism, yay. <laughs> Let's give some uh, shout out to the different organizations that had very concerted efforts. Um, 
to to contact and like repeatedly reach out to those sponsors to get them to pull because yeah. that was not something that the sponsors did of their own volition that was right. through you know active campaigning um on behalf of people who you know don't think that you know people who are who are inappropriate uh sexually inappropriate with their you know in the workplace should be one of the highest uh, paid or on one of the biggest news networks and one of the most prominent and probably highest paid but i don't know the numbers on that i can't back that up right people on that network um so yeah way to go probably so yeah probably i mean it seems like he's certainly one of the most you know famous and biggest name recognition and everything so yeah very very excited to see bill (laughs) o'reilly at least right now he's on the the downturn of the uh of the wheel of what is socially acceptable and who we're willing to give a second chance to. Uh, no, no, related to all that, what do you think Fox News like looks like after this? Because, I mean, they're losing Kelly. Yeah. And O'Reilly's leaving. Yeah. Now. And yeah. I mean, so they have Fox and Friends, which is just the worst. Yeah. Um, But then, like, their nighttime lineup is Hannity, and that's pretty much it now. Yeah, they've got Tucker Carlson, right, being terrible. Right, but no one takes Tucker Carlson seriously. <laughs> Did people take Bill O'Reilly seriously? Yes, I'm, we just we had ten years of Stephen Colbert needling that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is because I like there are Bill O'Reilly fans who took him seriously, mm-hmm. but I didn't don't know that anybody and I don't like I said I don't know, but yeah. to my knowledge, people outside of like did people look at Bill O'Reilly as a journalist? Because I don't know anybody who did, but that's also my bubble. Right, and I think we ha- I think it's like a different standard of what we're constituting this as is like mm-hmm. influence and that kind of thing. I mean, just from just a ratings and a, like a personality lineup within their particular cable demographic, mm-hmm. it's just, they're losing stuff and it's fascinating to see how quickly they're going to figure out a way to retool, especially with ales gone as well, what they can do going forward. So I, I'm just wondering, I don't think that they're going to shift away from their conservative propaganda tone that they've, um, at least Fox and Friends is very much embraced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wonder just about what what they do going forward, especially with everything that's come out regarding the various problems between Murdoch and his sons and the divisions between the three of them and how that plays into everything. Yeah, well... They certainly will need to either find woo away some big names or just create their own, you know, right. which they've shown a, a propensity to do. So we'll Correct. see. We'll see what they what approach they take. But I certainly like I'm not tap dancing over here that Megyn Kelly is leaving Fox either because people just love to, to key into the feminism of Megyn Kelly and ignore the racism of Megyn Kelly. So, right. you know, I I'm there are a lot of people who watch Fox News who will be sad that she's gone. So, we'll see what they do to, re, you know, try to fill that niche and replace her in their in their lineup if they're able to. Right, and I don't think that they'll be able to, but eh, who knows? I mean, again, I think a lot of it just boils down to like what they do post ales mm-hmm. and figure that out. But yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Um we heard from Fictions and Real on the website um about the last podcast I wanted to mention it uh because um, in here we have a link he mentions uh, Mallory Ortberg uh, going on the Slate podcast to talk about Handmaid's Tale and critiquing it as 
Um, well, the comment is, Melody Orberg uh, critiques contemporary discourse on the relevance of The Handmaid's Tale in a way I hadn't heard before, noting that it is largely inspired by historical incidents related to the treatment of non-whites applied in this dystopia to middle-class white women. So this idea of the, the, the whiteness of The Handmaid's Tale and taking the violence often you know, perpetrated onto non-white people. And all of a sudden it's, oh, it's the white ladies who are, who are being, you know, infringed upon. So now we care, (laughs) you know, which I, I hadn't heard. I also hadn't heard, but, but I, as soon as I read that comment, I was like, of course, I feel like an idiot. Um, Is that something that you can speak to in like what you've seen of the new show? Is it as white a show as it is a book? Um, in the book, I'm not quite sure how often race is described in the book, mm-hmm. um, but the implication, given the type of government that takes over, is that it's just it's targeted at white women um, in part because the type of people who take over are just racist xenophobes. Um, so that that would make sense. And as for the show itself. Um, I mean, Samara Wiley comes in as the best friend, so she appears in at least a couple of flashbacks in the first two episodes, but she'll have a prominent role later on if they follow the trajectory of the book. But on the whole, it's predominantly pretty white, Um, and again, that's not surprising considering the, again, the type of government that installs itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it, it, it is a valid point that, uh, Ordenberg makes, uh, just based on the comment, um, from fiction that this is something that is one of those things. And I mean, this was also like a, crit- a critique of like the women's march as well. It was just like, oh, suddenly we care when, or suddenly protests are very peaceful and not having a mass police presence when it's just a bunch of white ladies marching type of thing. And I, I, I think that's a valid critique to make against the book as well. And as to whether or not like at would know that you'd have to ask her and if she was just extrapolating from that, mm-hmm. something for her to consider. Yeah. No, but that idea of if this is what's happening to the white ladies in this totalitarian mm-hmm. regime, what is happening yeah. to all the people of color? What like they're just erased. They they're erased from the narrative, but they're erased from like that woman's particular narrative in a way that they're shunted off to like the wastelands quite literally mm-hmm. to die. Or they work as um whatchamacallits, as um prostitutes in um unlicensed districts. But official unofficially licensed districts that are totally okay to be in for the men <laughs> yeah there's um, some air quotes happening there <laughs> right yeah so that's that i think is mostly what happens to them um but there's still a couple of like women of color present um in the handmaid's tale uh television series they're just not like they're not in prominent roles to the best of my recollection apart from um, samara wiley well just the fact that you you introduced her as the friend <laughs> right the, the best friend is like oh I can't, I can't remember her name which is on me not the show um but, but still like that's the right. you know the woman of color best friend <laughs> you know right like, we've seen He's that also for gay a long time yeah which you know gay for queer women of color representation you know yeah. but it, 
Anyways, we'll talk more about The Handmaid's Tale once I've seen it. <laughs> once I've seen yeah. at least a few episodes. Um, but yeah, anyways, so thank you for posting that uh, at the website. And I'm going to go check out that podcast because that's really interesting. And I look forward to listening to it. So thanks again, Fiction Isn't Real, for bringing that to our attention and to my attention specifically. Um, at the end of the podcast, we're going to be talking girls. I say we're, but you don't watch girls. So I'm going to be talking girls with a friend of the show, uh, Caroline Cedar from the AV Club. Which is very exciting. Yeah, I haven't seen girls since the pilot. Uh, so I'm sure my thoughts are all still super relevant. Uh, <laughs> I, I bet I can really dive in. What everyone <laughs> wants to know is which girl are you, Noel? Based on your vague memory of only the pilot. <laughs> Based on my vague memory of only the pilot. Um, which? Um, none of them. Uh, the answer is none, none of them. them. <laughs> okay. No, um, I, I'm pretty sure I'm one of them. But um, I can't remember any. I can't remember who's who on that show. Um, who who played Peter Pan? <laughs> uh, Allison Williams. So Marnie. Marnie's so the worst. I know, and I'm probably the worst. I don't know why Marnie's the worst though. But um, I'm pro- based on the pilot from what I remember. I feel like I was Marnie. Okay. Well, that's intriguing. Yeah. That's intriguing. Yeah. Listeners, you can let us know uh, who yeah. you think who we, we yeah. are. Yeah. Let me know who I'm supposed to be. Don't say Adam <laughs> Driver, please. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, that's let me coming... be Patrick Wilson and my naked pink pod. There you go. There you go. Um, that's coming at the end of the podcast. And it was lovely as ever to talk with Caroline. So um, you guys uh, will hopefully enjoy that. But now we've got a full week in TV. So let's take a break. Listen to a little music and come back with our week in comedy. That was Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, uh, which, of course, was featured in the series finale of Girls. Um, but before we talk about, before I talk about Girls finale very briefly, um, Noel, you're going to kick things off by talking Girl Boss Season 1, which dropped today as we record on Netflix. Then I'll speak very quickly about the Veep premiere with a little, you know, now that I can actually say <laughs> what happens, uh, and the Girls finale latching. Um, then we'll talk quickly about Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, their episode from this week, and then Fresh Off the Boat, The Masters, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Serve and Protect, and we'll round things out with archer dreamland uh, jane doe so girl boss dropped today and i have heard almost no talk about about it noel uh, how many episodes have you seen how, how big of a like sample of season one did you get and should i prioritize this should i check this out right so uh girl boss for those who don't know is created by Kay cannon uh who we all probably enjoyed to enjoy to a fair degree i think is a fair assessment and um deals is loosely very loosely like the each episode mentions this is very loosely based on um sophia i'm gonna maybe botch this um sophia amoruso's um life as a woman who started a business uh 
by selling vintage clothes on eBay. Uh, so the show itself is a 2006 period piece, mm -hmm. <laughs> as they uh, serve to constantly remind us. Um, and by things of like a group watching of Marissa's death on the OC and billing it as the single most important television event of our lifetimes, which is terrific and perfect. Uh, so anyway, so the show itself is fine, I think is the best way to phrase it. Uh, I'm not entirely compelled by it, even though I really enjoy Brooke Robertson as Sophia as a continuation of this. We're going to have really thorny, complicated female characters who you don't really like at all. Uh, because Sophia is really is self-aware enough to know that her behavior makes her terrible, but she's also someone who has a father who's willing to give her money but says no, but goes dumpster diving for bagels, steals a rug from a vendor, doesn't just picks it up and walks away with it. And just all these sorts of really ill behaviors that she knows are wrong, but she keeps doing them anyway. And there's implications that basically her parents don't like her or love her enough type of thing as to a way to explain this behavior. But I only watched four episodes, so I can't necessarily speak to the degree to which they get into Sophia's psychology. Uh, but the show for the first first four episodes I watched is... Are, are fine uh it's really well directed i think is probably the best thing i the most like big thing about it is that uh they do a really a number of like single takes that are but not overly flashy but still really well executed and then there's just like little montage sequences that are also similarly well executed so visually i like the show a lot more than i think i like the show overall just because i think sophia is a well-performed character, but I'm not sure that she's necessarily all that interesting. I don't know that there's a lot going on beneath all the prickliness, which I don't know if that's enough to sustain me through for through more than the four episodes I watched. I may watch the fifth episode, which is called Top Eight, and it deals with her friendship with her best friend, and it spurs all these flashbacks because, and again, 2006, uh, she's upset that she's no longer in Sophia's top eight on her MySpace page ah. because yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's been replaced with a bunch of brands because the eBay store is taken off basically. Mm. So she's been pushed off the top eight and she's very upset about this. Um, again, 2006. So I, I'm probably going to finish that episode. I watched like the first five minutes of it. Um, and then I'll see if I feel like going on, but probably not. Uh, so if you have something else to watch, uh, I think watching, making those a priority would be good. But unless you're a real big fan of Brooke Robertson, uh, there's not a super compelling reason to watch this just yet. Yeah, because as you're describing it, I was trying to like listen for, okay, what's the hook? And, right. And, yeah, like yeah. 2006 period piece about someone who starts their own business doesn't, I kept waiting for the and. Right. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. And I don't think there's an and is the thing. It's just there. She's, she's just kind of flighty and mean, but she knows she's flighty and mean and self-absorbed, but she also just d doesn't seem interested in changing either. So there's, I, I wonder where an arc is if there is an arc mm -hmm. and, but also like how people like maintain being friends with her type of thing as well. So yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, again, if you're going to, you don't need to have some big premise if you're really funny. Right. Comedy. And 
it's funny enough. Um, I think a lot of it still ends up relying on twenty, on like time period humor, mm -hmm. which is weird considering it was only eleven years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but like that kind of stuff just doesn't necessarily ring for me. Some in part because it's just so recent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, well. Noted and uh, docked pretty low then on my list of shows to watch next week. There's, there's I got three episodes of Handmaid's Tale that I'm going to need to to burn through next week. So and that is significantly more important. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, this week we had the Veep premiere, which uh, I talked about a little a little bit about last week, and of course my reviews up over at the AV Club. Um, now that people have seen it, um, I, I can talk a little bit more about it. But I just wanted to mention that I had read some more interviews with um with David Mandel, who's running the show now. And apparently the, the when they were f filming the third episode is when the election, like there was election night, they were filming the third episode. It was funny listening to him talk about the cast who uh, are pretty much all were strong Hillary supporters, like watching the returns and then having to go be funny um, mm -hmm. <laughs> on camera, like while they were, you know, that, that, that evening. But, um, Yes, yeah, so that's they they were they were, they had already filmed the first three, um, and they decided to not change course after that. They had to decide what they were going to do. So that makes a little bit more sense for some of the decisions. But I still don't know that I think that was the right the right call. the 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 biggest thing for me in this premiere, and now people will will have seen it. There's a lot of swearing, but it seems there's a lot of um, profanity and outrageous statements, but in a way that doesn't feel like Veep so much as a show trying to feel like Veep, you hmm. know, like getting the saying the words, but not quite in the right order or not, you know, like it's not about the number of swears. It's not about the, like the intensity. It's about, it's about the, the execution and the right thing at just the right moment. And actually the second episode of the season has almost no swearing, which is an interesting like overcorrection, you know, <laughs> so it, it's just, it's, they, they feel the show, like the, the premiere just felt a little off from, in the tones like you're saying the right words but just not quite in the right way um and so hopefully you know it'll improve as the season continues but i did want to mention that about you know to clarify about the the decision to not address the 2016 election and um yeah some there were a few moments that worked nicely but like why why is jonah like jonah is faking cancer but that means that he's faking going to the hospital every week and he's faking like admittance forms and he's faking like, cause if he still doesn't have his hair growing back, that means that he's theoretically still faking chemo, which is a whole, like, it's a funny moment, but I just, I don't know. There's too many moments like that where it just felt like they're cramming an exposition awkwardly to, you know, to try to catch up you up in the last year, like happens with Amy at the, her, her fiance's campaign. Um, or they're, you know, they're, they're funny setups, but, more going just for a broad gag and not thinking out the the detail of the world in a way that that lets it have a deeper resonance so that you can keep come back to the scene and it's funnier and it's funnier um so you know again hopefully it's just a little finding their feet after such a big change in the plot we'll, we'll see uh the girls uh series finale aired this week latching and that's all about you know hannah having her kid and she's got this miracle job um at this at this <laughs> university or, or college small college that wouldn't exist and she would never get but who cares it's a fiction show it's not trying to be realistic uh i thought it was a, a decent i thought it was a fun finale i liked it more than other people did um 
if only just for the the very cathartic moment of watching Hannah yell at a stupid teenager who's gotten into a fight with her mother over nothing. And she's like half naked running around. And so Hannah gives her her pants to wear so she can calm her down to find out what happened. because She thinks something horrible happened. And then she realizes that nothing horrible happened. She just got into a fight with her with her mother and she's very distraught, but over over nothing. And she demands her pants back. <laughs> In a really delightful scene. So there are some nice moments like that. That yes, it's not the most organic thing. Um, and I can see why some people, including spoiler alert, friend of the show, Caroline Sita, felt like the penultimate episode was more of a organic finale to the show. But I thought it was I thought it was solid, and I can see why they wanted to end with that. I will say that my. Uh, I, I do prefer the episode. If we're going to talk about episodes about how um, a new mother uh, like is having trouble getting the kid to latch and breastfeed, I still got to give that to Jane. Jane the Virgin did it better. <laughs> but, I mean, I feel like that's true a lot of the time about a lot of things. Yes. That's more about Jane being awesome. But, anyways, uh, I thought it was a solid finale, and we'll talk, I'll talk with Caroline at the end of the show a bunch about girls. So let's move on now to Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. I feel like we should mention this just if only to say, France, listen to black and white <laughs> John Oliver <laughs> and, and, you know, and vote. Dear Sweet Baby Jesus, vote. Right. Uh, no, it's a really good episode of rundown of what's happening with the French election, uh, particularly with uh, Le Pen's um, ability to sort of reform her particular, uh, the National Front Party, um, after unceremoniously kicking her father out, uh, <laughs> which is just delicious. Um, but no, it's it's important to do that just because the the brexit and everything is just very much a like a problem within the idea of the european experiment of a multi-country single continent type of deal and france shifting away from that would probably just as a number of commentators that they highlighted would kill it uh so this was a really good sort of over survey of the ramifications but also who's running and why no one's excited about that other guy whose name i can't remember which is how Macron? exciting he, i think yeah because uh, it sounds like macaroon but those are more exciting yes exactly people <laughs> yeah no so I, I i i think that's where it is it's a very good survey of something that i mean i've been keeping an eye on a little bit just because the le pens have been around french politics for so long and that I was aware of them like before it was trendy to know about them, <laughs> not to sound like a <laughs> politics hipster, but um, that that I think it's it was a it was a very good survey. And the capstone with the already cigarette smoking filtered through black and white was very funny. Yeah. Uh, but please, if you're listening in friend uh, to us in France and you're eligible to vote, please vote. <laughs> please, please vote. Look, look look at us we said ha ha brexit you idiots that's not gonna happen and then look learn learn from us we did not learn from brexit we're having to have the science march tomorrow guys yeah. <laughs> come on I, I do really love that like you said that they did go with that simple simplified like black and white they didn't go for the big production number it was a nice change of pace and something i think was really effective so Good job, last uh, last week tonight, team. Let's move on to fresh off the boat, and we get the competing parenting styles of <laughs> of of the uh, the Wongs. And um, yeah, I, I thought 
it was nice and i think my favorite but i think it's my favorite part of the whole episode was just the reveal at the end that of course this is just a random person who's at this golf course who people just keep assuming you know like is is related to the woods like uh the 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 two parents of tiger woods um i thought that was a delightful little capper but i thought this was a fun take on a really familiar approach like a familiar setup no it was and i I really enjoyed this kind of a for them to explore their different parenting styles i thought was really important and also really funny that it ended up working out that lewis's that they work together but lewis's is the one that gets more immediate results Mm -hmm. (laughs) um which i really liked but it, it was just a very funny episode and i also enjoyed the whole we have to let people know that he's half Asian <laughs> and that this is some big startling revelation that is th- totally missed because there's a fight between the two dweebs with the same backpack. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, it was a very fun episode. And, but I, I, I liked, um, I, I liked that the show is like still to the still, I think back to like season one and how quickly the show has, course corrected away from eddie as a focus to basically lewis and jessica as a focus yeah (laughs) and the uh, the sheer amount of material that they can mine from that is just really great and it's developed into a really solidly produced solidly written solidly performed show that allows the kids to move in and out um as necessary and i like the idea that it's just like well evan's good at everything so (laughs) You, you have to use Emery and um, Eddie, and that's mm-hmm. it. And yeah. It's just, it, it feels really lived in, and I really like that. I also really liked, we did talk about it last week, but the stuff that they gave Emery last week with him being so insecure about not having anything from their, you know, their previous home, and when they moved here, him starting to hoard. I, I always enjoy when they hint at these other issues that clearly he has going on but are just so easy to gloss over because the rest of life is more challenging, but Emery still has stuff happening too. It's just, we all have things. I like, I like when they remember that about Emery. Right. And it's good because he's obviously weirdly, like probably the most sensitive of the bunch in a lot of ways. And I, I think that was really significant. And plus was that that episode also included the stuff with uh, the grandmother, correct? Yes, and, yes. Which was also really, really good as well. So they're just they've hit a nice little stride of episodes as they're coming to the end of the season. Yeah, it's going to be it's just like next week or the week after. It's coming up right away. Here. Yeah, yeah. I think ABC's comedies are like done in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Here miss you um but we've got a lot more brooklyn 99 coming because of course they took that giant gap uh what did you think of servant protect was this a good episode or just a a delightful cameo by nathan fillion and then the rest of an episode existing around it i feel like it was really the rest of the episode existing around it um yeah (laughs) yeah because the rest of it just didn't click in any way for me, like uh, exploring um, the trying to get like the guy with the affair and the joke with the eyebrow pumps just went on like endlessly. It wasn't funny the first and time. And it wasn't right. That's the thing. It wasn't very particularly funny like the first two times and then it just kept happening. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh, I see what you guys are wanting to go for here, but it's not working at all. And I'm not sure why it's not working, but it's not. They were so, trying to have it connect into Holt's personality, but it didn't because they, again, yeah. they went too far with it. So they, they, there's a way they could have, a subtler way they could have done that that would have fit with who Holt is supposed to be. 
right. but they didn't do that. They didn't go cartoonishly completely opposite direction, but they just went too far, and it's this uncanny valley. <laughs> this whole uncanny valley. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that, was, that was kind of meh. But, no, I enjoyed Fillion showing up and playing a guy who's played a cop for 15 years and thinks he's a cop. And it's just, it rang so true of probably Castle. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed Greg Gurman popping up uh, as the producer and his eagerness to get um, Jake as a uh, consultant, I thought was really funny. And Jake's obvious excitement about being a consultant. But then also his obvious excitement that he, his name still got used as the single worst (laughs) crime criminal that that female cop had ever met. Mm-hmm. And shot endlessly more times than there are bullets in a clip. <laughs> the, the 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 glee at the end of the episode of them still using his name was nice, and the the stuff like uh, the reactions of, of, of what, or I should say, watching Gina and Jake interrogate that character also worked was really mm-hmm. funny. It worked really. Oh, that's my move, you know. I think that whole part of the episode for me worked really well, um, even if it was pretty broad. But yeah, the rest of it kind of fell apart a little bit more. I, I felt like Archer Dreamland um, Jane Doe was a bit more consistent, though I'm not still loving Dreamland as much as everybody else seems to be. Like the second episode wasn't some big jump up for me the way it seems like it was for other people. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel about like the third episode? Still not a jumper or anything? Or well, I really like the band. That was yes. delightful, and bringing back Keegan Michael Key, and um, it was Wendell Pierce, and who else? Wyatt Snack. Wyatt Snack, yeah, it was delightful. I loved the, the at the end the thing with the Panzer Division, <laughs> like the, <laughs> I, 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 that was and just those cutaways to to Ray. Um, just being the worst <laughs> and getting. Them. I love this Weaver's Weaver's cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, this marijuana cigarette. <laughs> like, and, and, and that people were. T- um, I saw the people talking about how that was a reference to Archer getting his team killed by saying similarly loud, stupid things in mm-hmm. missions in like season one and two. Um, so even without that extra layer of reference, I thought that was a delightful kind of approach. I don't care about the club. I don't care. I mean, like the, the, the syphilis based standup was uh, very effective for me. I've been listening to a lot of Sawbones recently. <laughs> I've just about <laughs> caught up with the entire back catalog. So like just this idea that everybody at a certain point in history, pretty much everybody had syphilis. <laughs> it was very common. Um, that was delightful. Uh, but yeah, just like uh, the, the different dynamics I don't really care about. So when we have the distinct um, tone of, you know, having a, of a goal of we need to get out, we need to get, break out of the cell and then we need to go get the cards and we need to go get share like these different um elements of this episode i thought really structurally were very sound and helped make a tighter episode but i don't care about um this the corrupt cop you know i don't care about um the you know the vandertunt heiress being kidnapped now by a third person by mother um and i don't you know, I, I like the dynamic with Poovy and, and Archer, but that's about it as far as me buying into the world within Archer's mind. So that's the trouble I'm having. If it's if I'm laughing out loud, obviously I'm having a good time. It still looks stylish and is fun, and there's a lot of these, these nice callbacks and these interesting, like those flashbacks he's having are still really interesting to me um, that that's happening within Archer's mind. But, um, but other than that, it's just it feels kind of hollow to me. And I can understand the hollowness in part because it just feels so driven by being pastiche and parody almost. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I can understand that. It's just like I said, when I think when this first started, it was just like, this is my kind of like pastiche and parody yeah. of like messing with film noir. Even if I do agree that, uh, that some of the stuff with the club is sort of kind of meh. Um, but I think on the whole, it's funny enough that I don't mind any of that as well. It's just, even if, even if, yeah, even if it is still kind of men places or like the dealings with uh, kidnapping uh, Cheryl in whatever capacity is sort of like a I don't really care that much, but it's still all very funny. So I don't mind mm-hmm. type of thing. And I think that's basically where I end up. But I also like some of our some of their still return stuff of like we don't get to see the hallway fight. We just mm-hmm. get to see the end of it. And I like that. I like the fact that they were just one. It would have just been too much to animate and too mm-hmm. expensive. But just the end result of it, I think, is really great because Poovy's laid out everyone <laughs> uh, going to the whole just like the tired I get the more berserker I get and I, I just really loved the follow through with that line is just like everyone is basically dead almost <laughs> and I thought that was just really really funny yeah I also am really enjoying Cheryl's prominence because that I think works very well in this type of world that, that she's such a ridiculous character that it works really well to have to like to, for Archer to be forced to keep her in the center of the narrative. So yeah. that certainly you know, is helping the season, but hopefully, I mean, everybody else who I know who who's really enjoying it are all people who like yourself, whose opinions I really respect and <laughs> know what they're talking about. So hopefully it'll click in for me soon. Cause it's just like, yeah, that was fun. And then I almost immediately forget about it. So, so hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll drink, you know, I'll, I'll understand what y'all are seeing pretty soon. <laughs> um, what wins your week in comedy? Um, I'll give it to Archer this week. Uh, just for the reason that you mentioned, uh, Pierce and Snack and um, Key. Key. Uh, yeah. Right. We're all just like standout guest performers this week. And I really enjoyed them as a presence. So I'll give it to Archer this week. What about you? Um, I liked a bunch of these, but I think honestly, I'd give it to uh, Angie Tribeca this okay. week. I really enjoyed their trip down to the bayou and w- w- the <laughs> structure it appears they're taking this season. Yeah. Of- traveling to different places and either not actually spending any time there like they did in the premiere or having, you know, everybody end up in New Orleans except for our, you know, chief, Jerry Burns, who is his cousin, also played by Jerry Burns. Like, I would be down but if they want to do that every week. Punch. Of course. And then the, the, the mutton chops. Yep. Yeah. And the accent, of course. Uh, yeah. So so I, that one really worked for me. So um, I'll give it to Angel Tribeca. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend genre and reality.
That was Want to Want Me by Jason Derulo. It feels very strange to me to be citing Jason Derulo on the podcast in a capacity other than criticizing him for his lackluster judging on So You Think You Can Dance. However, that song was used delightfully in this week's episode of iZombie, so I wanted to feature it here. This week in genre and reality, I'm going to talk a bit about the Doctor Who premiere, the pilot, as well as the premiere for the Doctor Who spinoff class uh, for Tonight We Might Die. Then we'll talk Samurai Jack 46 and iZombie it, Eat, Pray, Live. Before we switch over to reality, I'm going to talk Bill Nye That Saves the World, which is the new Netflix Bill Nye show. Uh, <laughs> the Earth is a Hot Mess. Uh, Earth is a Hot Mess. And then uh, catch up with The Amazing Race. We had two episodes this week, Another One Bites the Dust and Have Faith in Me Broski. Before we round things out with uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, Good Morning Bitches. The fact that I didn't use the, the lip sync uh, song from this week's episode of RuPaul should give you a hint as to where we're going to be going with that conversation, or at least where I'm going to be going. Noel, I have. We're both going to be going there. It's yeah. okay. Anyways, that's for later. Charlie, unacceptable. Okay, for later. But first up, Doctor Who. Now, listeners will know I have a difficult relationship with uh, Stephen Moffat Doctor Who in that I love Doctor Who. And I've seen all of Doctor Who, including the episodes that don't exist anymore. I've listened to the audio versions and watched still photographs of it, which is the things that you do when you, your job in grad school is answering a helpline that never rings. Um, but I, I really, really, really don't like um, a lot of the crutches that Moffat increasingly uses. So color me surprised when I actually really liked the Doctor Who premiere. Uh, I've just sort of been filling time waiting for like past like marking time waiting for his tenure to end i'm not confident that the new showrunner will be great but i really am up for a change in the approach of the show certainly i'm up for i can't wait for some new writing especially of the doctor and the female companions and characters Uh, but bill feels rather different than the typical heroine that we've been getting on the show i love that she is working class she works in the cafeteria she's a she's a she's a chips lady in the in the canteen at the university where the doctor is is teaching um i love that i love that she's just immediately introduced as queer um that's delightful i mean they have to it's almost performatively introduced the way that it gets brought up in conversation um but you know there's so little representation for queer women of color um, in any television that I'm not going to, you know, give it too hard a time for being, you know, not subtly introduced into the narrative. She just kind of goes off on a tangent, not for any reason that we're given, just so that, that they can establish her sexuality so that way we can, we know who we're, you know, paying attention to as we watch the rest of the episode. Um, the the threat of the week is not that interesting, but that, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't really matter for most of the time for Doctor Who. Instead, I, I thought they did a good job of introducing Bill and, you know, really getting giving us a feel for her. Uh, it would be very nice if um, Doctor Who could have a female character, a prominent female character who wasn't in some sense a traumatized and abandoned young girl, which is how Moffat introduced um, Amy. It's how Moffat introduced uh, Clara to an extent this idea of these abandoned people with no families um, with some trauma in their back background um, especially all the way back to childhood and who aren't really complete and are very much infantilized by the show um, so there's some of that with Bill but not as much as there has been in the past and hopefully the, these connections to her mother who just who died or disappeared or something when she was young um, will remain in her backstory and not 
be this element they keep returning to on the show over and over again. Um, but I did really, you know, like the performances. I liked the dynamic and the rapport of the two uh, characters right away. And yeah, fingers crossed it'll stick with this. I'm not excited about the the season-long threat or question that the show has introduced. Of course, of course we have to have one of those. Um, but if I like the characters, you know, I'll give a show a lot of, a, a lot of uh, rope. So hopefully, you know, I, I think nothing helps quite so much as lowered expectations. Yes, Noel? It makes a huge difference, but I also want to point out that giving a show a lot of rope is also a good way for the show to hang itself. Well, there is that. (laughs) There certainly is that. Uh, We also had the Doctor Who spinoff class air here. It's already aired in the UK last year, but uh, we had the first episode air here, and um, I thought it was fine. Um, I know that some people were not fans um, and find it kind of hokey um, or, you know, simplistic, but that, like, it's... the teen spinoff of Doctor Who. Doctor Who is a hokey show most I was about of the to say, time. Yeah. So for me, it worked. Um, I it really helped that they specifically name drop, like when when the Doctor says, "Oh, this school is you know too many you know alien things have happened here. There's been too many breaches of time and space in this location. So this is going to start dragging." drawing other entities here, and so you guys are going to have to be constantly on alert. And the the one. Uh, the school kids is like what and the other kid says it's like the hellmouth <laughs> so like the fact that they li- literally dropped the hellmouth and buffy reference and then several others as well um having the kids you know the show being that aware and having the kids be that aware and acknowledging that they know the audience is that aware i really appreciated that lampshading and that the fact they didn't dwell on it after that um i love that they have a queer main character uh alien and that they have like i i love that they have a character who loses his leg and has um a super awesome robotic prosthetic uh so so i most of the time i imagine we won't see it but that's still something you know for representation as well and you know i think it's fun enough and light enough and the characters are are you know interesting enough that you know it could become something you're not interested in doctor who i assume you're not interested in class yeah i i actually read the episode summaries for everything already because mm-hmm. uh, Caitlin over at tvguide.com was uh, doing some work on it. So I just went, I'm going to read the episode summaries. And I read the episode summaries and went, yeah, I'm not going to watch this. <laughs> but Fair I'm enough. good. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, I know that you watched Samurai Jack. We always look forward to it every week. What do we have to say about this episode that is that is new? This was our first opportunity to see Jack and Ashi just like team up. Any thoughts on that? Oh, I thought it was good. Uh, I, I liked, uh, again, some some of the deprogramming of Ashi's brainwashing and learning about Aku's particular brand of menace, which is like destroying an entire forest, but leaving that one beautiful tree as a reminder of what was there, mm-hmm. but that you will never, ever get anything like that one beautiful tree ever again. Just that one tree is all you get. Mm-hmm. And so I liked that. I liked her uh, having bring putting her in a situation where she has to help save a village worth of abducted, f- cute, furry creatures, children creatures is really smart, uh, considering her obvious like acknowledged right the obvious acknowledged parallels and trauma of that kind of a thing so i it's a very smart way to like really reinforce this idea of ashi waking up and figuring things out uh for me though like 
the big thing, and this is actually something I'd been wondering for like four episodes now, if we were going to get this, the Scotsman was back and now he's a ghost. And, um, which made me really happy because he was kind of unceremoniously, um, killed and I just, and humorously killed. And I just went, that's not befitting the Scotsman. And then he comes back as a ghost to lead the, his army of daughters, <laughs> um, uh, against Aku and they have to go find Jack. But I, I, I'm just so glad the Scotsman's back. And I, I, I love the Scotsman. So. All right. I don't remember the Scotsman at all. Like I, I had forgotten that there were other humans alive besides the daughters of a coup um mm-hmm. and so i was like ah there are people why do we never see people he's only ever around you know we see, we see creatures that he saves that the samurai jack saves but we don't ever mm-hmm. see other humans huh i didn't even know that they still existed 50 years into the future <laughs> ah, no there are other humans uh there's the scotsman and his whole clan like there's actually an episode where they jack goes back to the scotsman uh's clan and there's a whole bunch of folks and so they then, haven't aged either no they have like the scotsman's like in a wheelchair and is pretty old by this point but like when jack first met him he was spry he had his machine gun leg mm-hmm. uh so yeah no was, yeah no they were all and then there was still um there was david allen greer's um samurai wannabe samurai mm-hmm. uh character from another episode uh in which he plays a like kind of a riff on like a samurai shampoo type of thing, but it's a, more of a parody type thing. Uh, but it, it's also very good, but human as well. So okay. no, there are humans around. There are just not that many of them. And also all of the coup scientists are humans. That's true. That's true. So, but yes, it's still beautiful. Still very interesting. Psychologically. We still really like it. Anything new to say? Besides... No, no, still <laughs> nothing new to say though. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some sense of resolution to the representation of death or the grim reaper or whatever we've got with that fellow on the horse mm-hmm. and surrounded in shadow and green, um, hopefully next week yeah, or rather this week. <laughs> uh, well, I do have lots, uh, well, not lots, but at least some strong feelings that we haven't yet mentioned about iZombie. We have Eat, Pray, Live this week. And you, you mentioned a lot of strong feelings last week. <laughs> What more strong feelings do you have this week, Kate? Okay, this stuff with Ravi is so stupid. It's so yes, stupid. It oh, my goodness. Like, first of all, I think that they by having him be drunk, I thought that they played it well, they acted it well. And yes. she cannot give him a hard time for this. It's absurd. Yeah, what? it is. All of it's absurd. Like, even his behavior, her behavior, it's all very bad. Like, his behavior, and then then him saying that he loves her. Again, We talk, I talked about this last week. Him saying, but I love you. That doesn't change the fact that you're being a dick. That doesn't mm-hmm. make it better. It's like, well, now that I know that you love me, you being an asshole is just okay. Like, and, and, and so apparently that it is. And then she shows up at his, at his house, and, and he's been, you know, having some time with his, you know, former boss. And that's, that's the deal breaker. That's like, oh, it's terrible. I just, it's, it's, it feels poorly written to me. It feels like a betrayal of, of, you know, not of Robbie, but of, of her. And just, and they're like, this is not the Peyton we were introduced to. This is not who she's been. And so they just are trying to push the Blaine stuff so hard. And I don't, 
I, I mean, it's David Anders. I enjoy David Anders, but I don't care. I don't care about Blaine. I don't care about him singing. I don't care about these different things. I just, that whole corner of the show could be chopped off, leave Peyton, clear up the Ravi, Peyton Ravi stuff. And I just would be a happier person watching the show. So to that end, then, are you really hoping that this new cure kills Blaine? Don't care. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, like, it's not gonna because they have his dad on the show and they're gonna like. Right. Sure. I don't know. Well, I mean, to that to that end, then, do you still think he's faking then? Well, this leads me to think that we're supposed to think he's not, which I mm-hmm. think is stupid because of how they played it. And if mm-hmm. he's not, they needed to not make us try to make us think he is when nobody else was looking. Mm-hmm. That's again, that's trying to trick your audience. That's not being honest to what is experiencing. Like we talked about on the good place. They just didn't show us things that we, you know, like they didn't lie to us when they were showing us things. They just didn't. They were very selective about what we saw in the first season to get us to assume things. Right. This is the opposite of that. This is where they show us with reactions and ang- and like like the, the reaction of the the actor and of the camera choices and different things, actively encouraging us to doubt the veracity of some of the things that are happening. So, and then if they have him actually have had his memory lost for part of this season, then they were just screwing with us, and that's the kind of thing that I have no patience for. Okay. Okay. Because I mean, I'm still of the opinion that the show isn't trying, even though it's a little on the nose this week with him seeing masquerade. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I, I still, I don't think that the show is actively trying to screw with us in that regard. Okay. Um, just in part, because otherwise I don't think that there would have been such a push and pull about him taking the cure or not, um, or this new batch of the cure. Um, so I'm still up there, but I don't disagree with the whole what's being done with Peyton isn't particularly compelling. And the result of it is just this kind of weird spiral of weird character decisions that really don't work and don't make it like a degree of sense. Um, But I'm also hoping that now that this has happened and now that they're both angry enough that hopefully something can be like sorted through, but I'm not totally convinced that it'll happen as quickly as I would like it to Mm -hmm. so that we can move on from uh, Ravi just being kind of really angry, but in just a way that doesn't fit with everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How long do you think until we find out that there's like mind controlly stuff in the brain goo? Uh, Probably not too long. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, no, probably not too long, though. Um, I, I, I like the fact that um, Major's idea of a good time is Dance Dance Revolution with bits of brain on s- s- soda crackers. Yeah, Zumba um, brain. That's, yeah, that's, that's, his, that's, his, that's his extent of entertaining is soda crackers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not even any hot sauce on there. You have to put some hot sauce on there because otherwise they're not going to taste anything. Yep. But yeah, no, probably some brain controlling stuff. But I don't know. Like, I feel like the DJ guy seems pretty regular, but mm-hmm. and he's been on the stuff as long as anyone else has. Yeah, um, in theory. Yeah. So we'll see. But uh, I would not be surprised if there's some sort of like, uh, clone trooper order 66 type stuff being worked into the brain goo mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah um and the, my last thought is that the yeah. stuff they're doing with blaine's father it's like it's just a rehash of the deli the high-end yes, food it is. it's like it, hopefully that's the point 
that he right. can't think outside the box. You can't be more creative, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I hope they could. They they know that they're doing that, right? Yeah, they have to know that. And I think a lot of it is also just this idea that originally this was Donnie's idea. So that's one thing to remember. Mm-hmm. And Donnie's not the brightest bulb in the box. That's um, very, very true. <laughs> uh, even though his idea of the ghost pepper is very smart. Yeah. Um, is a very smart like filtering, even though I like the nail gun too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is very much the same thing. So I think a, I think. Donnie's aware of that and wants to continue that idea because it was a good scam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that uh, Blaine's dad is so eager to jump into it, I'm wondering how much of it is just that father-son type of tension and going like, well, you didn't do this quite right, so I'm going to show you up, son, even though I think you're faking not having any memories type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. Um, let's move over to reality. And we, I watched the first episode of Bill Nye Saves the World. Uh, Earth is a Hot Mess, which was about climate change. And this was, it's a half hour show. Uh, it's like a talk sh- slash um, informational, educational kind of show. And I really a- appreciated it as you know, listen back a few minutes to my thoughts on class and Doctor Who, you will know I'm fine with some hokiness. That's not going to bother <laughs> me. Um, but I, I appreciate the spectrum of conversation in the episode. They have everything from a really basic, here is a beaker of colored water. As you heat it up, it expands and takes up more space. The volume of the, you know, it goes up because it gets heated up so it's bigger that's what's happening on the earth. It's a very simple demonstration that is very straightforward for children to understand. So if they're watching the show, you can get a really solid grasp of the basics of climate change. And then at the end of the, ep- end of the episode, they have three different um, experts of some, you know, in various areas talking about solutions to, you know, to carbon output. And, uh, and and coal plants and, and is is nuclear power the answer is renewable are renewables the answer like you know so so I appreciated uh, that they have a spectrum of, of things I also liked they have these little short segments of one of their correspondents going to to Venice to show some of the, the things that are happening in Venice <laughs> when the water expands and rises that's a big problem in Venice because uh, of all of the the water um so that you know they talked about the, the the locks that they're putting in place there for when the tide is higher um it's like a billion five billion dollar construction feat that they've that they've put together um so so i like that they had these shorter segments um like video pre-taped things they put in there with it i also really like the <laughs> i need a minute <laughs> segment which is basically bill nye goes into his angry dome and just rants about something for like a minute and uh it was very satisfying and um i thought that that worked pretty well it's the kind of thing that i'm going to be suggesting and recommending to people looking for science conversation looking for who like bill nye and like neil degrasse tyson and like some of these different things also for educators and um i feel like if you would like the basics of how to start getting more informed about some of these topics um like the first episode is climate change the second episode is um like homeopathy and fake like fake medicines and that kind of stuff um 
I feel like this is a good starting off point, jumping off point, and then maybe you can do other research based on what you see here. Um, but yeah, it was it was fun, and half hour is a good length. Um, they went, I think it was like 30 minutes and 55 seconds, so they aren't doing that whole like 40 minute half hour show thing that Netflix right. happens, you know, that doesn't happen on Netflix sometimes. Um, so so yeah, I thought it was I thought it was solid, and it didn't explode my brain. And it's kind of hokey, but that's it's Bill Nye. What are you expecting? So I, I think I think it kind of keeps with his brand and what people expect with enough new ideas and new approaches that, you know, if you if if the idea of Bill Nye has a new show appeals to, I think you'll like the show. No, and it sounds sounds good in that regard. I um, it's just one of those things that I wish wasn't on Netflix. Yeah, as opposed to like on broadcast tv type of thing where there's a wider reach type of thing but also not slotted into saturday mornings during the e slash i hours where they cover the where the broadcast networks cover their bases for children targeted educational instructional programming uh so again like even though i'm not like a big degrasse tyson fan like cosmos being on fox was a big deal for me Mm-hmm. And something like this, I feel like, should be on something that's more readily accessible. But I also have it, see me, see my rant about Sesame Street being on HBO, basically. Yeah. Um, type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think the other issue with it being on Netflix is that it got some coverage this week, a little bit of coverage. Um, and I'm sure Nye will be at the science marches and he'll be talking on, on like different talk shows and things about, he'll be pimping the sure. show a bit, but there's so much content that's yeah. going on Netflix all the time. It's very easy for this to get lost. So if this is important to you, tell people about it, check it out. See if you like it, see what you think and tell the other, tell children, tell educators that, you know, tell parents who are looking for this type of programming to watch with their kids, uh, because it will disappear quickly if people don't actively promote it. Yeah. Um, I caught up with more of the amazing race. We're up to episode five this season. And I just wanted to check in briefly and say, I'm having a little trouble with the season because of when you, when you have these groups of people, these teams where they didn't know each other before the race, what you gain in energy for the teams, meaning like both people really want to compete and really want to win, you lose. In order to gain that, you sacrifice the connections these people have beforehand, which means there are way too many teams where I like one of the people and really dislike the other. And they don't like each other particularly well, other than they have a common goal. And so there, there have been several teams now where... Um, one of the teammates is insufferable and the other teammate is doing their best and trying to be a good partner and, you know, really in like just gr- gritting their teeth a little bit and then releasing tension. Um, and at least one of those teams has gotten eliminated, but um, another, like the two more have emerged in this week's episode and the previous week's episode. And um, now I don't have a team where I like everyone. Oh, it's really frustrating. A, yeah, that's not a good way to watch that show. Oh, you know, I do. I have one. I like hashtag team fun. Becca and Floyd, enjoy both of them. But the other okay. team that I really liked, uh, the guy was a jerk, abusive jerk in his interactions with his teammate because uh, he was he, he used he admitted he's like if i get something in my head, i can be really difficult and I, when i get really frustrating, it's a lot to take and you know. But <laughs> Even with that, he was still being an asshole. And um, there aren't really any other teams that I actively 
like, and that is making it much more challenging. You don't have those moments of connection and camaraderie and years of an established relationship to fall back on. And not having any of that this season has proven more challenging uh, in like viewing. They they needed, I think they needed to have a few couples in there or pairs in there um, to balance out sort of like they did in this season where they had the, the old couples and the newly like set up blind date for the race thing that had a balance. And I think that worked better. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully some of the people who are being jerks will stop being jerks. Hopefully the um, woman who's talking about how she's just a weak woman, she can't do this, who's used to, who it seems like is used to falling back on her attractive good looks to get people to do stuff for her when she's having a hard time. Hopefully she'll stop doing that. Um, and then taking credit for when her partner, who's terrified of heights, agrees to do another heights thing just to keep things moving. You don't be like, see, aren't you glad that I made you do that other heights thing when you were sobbing for 20 minutes? It's a good thing I did that. You're welcome. It's like, oh, my God. No. So aggravating. Anyways. You're making me really want to watch this season now. <laughs> just so I can be frustrated with you. Yeah, so I'm rooting Sympathy for Scott, frustration. but not for Sarah. And I'm there's another team um, with it's the two guys. You, oh man, the one guy Noel's talking was talking about how like it's good that we're an all guy team because like, I don't like drama, so it's like good that we're an all guy team because then we don't have to like use emotions and get get emotions into play here. Because yeah, that's, that's that's great. Yeah, that's that's so great. Is the uh, please tell me the other guy just started being super emotional. <sighs> Well, no, because that's the, what I would do. Well, no, because the guy saying that is the one who's the emotional one oh, of the of two course. of them. Of course, he's got some rage issues and some he's got some issues with women too. But those those are masculine. Those are masculine traits. So those I mean, aren't those, that's traits. not emotions. That's okay. Those Come aren't on. emotions. Anyways, um, and they keep doing well, which is frustrating. But hopefully, <laughs> they'll get taken down at the end by Team Fun. Anyways, um, so that's my catch up on the Amazing Race. I will probably check in again at the end of the of the season. Uh, but we have RuPaul's Drag Race, and we had the episodes Good Morning Bitches, and we need to drag RuPaul's Drag Race. Right? This was not a good episode. And how do you cast someone on the show who's not even willing to do a lip sync? Well, okay, so we'll get back to the good episode part in a second. Um... I think, oh, you think it was a good episode? I thought it was a bad episode. I enjoyed the morning talk show stuff. I thought it was okay. very good. Um, but no, um, it's the same issue that we had with Kamara last week where it's just like, oh, I don't sew. I get other people to do that. And it's just like, but I'm going to go on Drag Race anyway. And it's just mm-hmm. like, you went on you went on Drag Race and you're just like, I don't do lip syncing. We don't do lip syncing where I come from. We, we perform live. So I can and- sing... But I can't move my mouth the way that you do when you're singing and also act. I'm just going to stand there. Like, kick those heels off and do right. your thing. That, that's that's all you had to do. And it was basically just like, uh, I'm, I'm just going to acknowledge the fact that it's just like, yeah, if I ever got into bottom two, I would just like just leave immediately because I'm not going to lip sync because I don't know how. And it's not what we do. And it's just like, oh, but but the show's been on for like 10 years now almost and it's just mm-hmm. like but but you knew that this was going to be a thing you could have what's what's that word where you do something over and over again to get better at it it's, i don't i don't you know practice that's practice. what it is you practice because huh. you want to win a lot of money like that's like <laughs> a thing that performers do and right. entertainers do huh 
how about that? Yeah, it was really frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was I was trying to figure out what was happening there because it was just like that's not it's not a song where you just stand there at mm-hmm. all. And I was just like, what are you doing? So I was really glad when we got Charlie talking to the camera and explaining what was happening. But then once Charlie explained what was happening, I was just like, oh, well, no, that's not how any of this works again. That's not an acceptable answer. That's an answer, but it's not an acceptable one. Yeah, definitely. Um, some of the, the morning talk show stuff was okay, but I, I don't know. I just think it's odd that we didn't get to see any of it. You know, with because we saw them filming, but then we didn't get to see it without like the cutaways and the timing being messed up by the editing and everything. We didn't get to really see the fashion show. They're still not doing the mini challenges, which are really nice to make them fly by the seat of their pants a bit more. Um, so I don't know. I was it was frustrating. Well, one thing I didn't need the edited together version of the morning talk shows because the entire concept of them being live, I think, is the reason why we didn't get that. Yeah, and... but we don't, like, when they keep cutting away to other people reacting to it, you don't actually get a sense of how they did. What do you mean? Well, we don't watch the whole segment live. We they we saw them recording it live, but they mm-hmm. kept cutting away from what they were actually doing. Like, you only heard snippets of what each person did. We don't actually, I didn't feel like I got any sense of who did a good job and who didn't. Other than, oh. like, them going like, wah, wah, as a couple people messed up. No, I thought we got a really good sense of who did well and who didn't. Even without like the reaction shots, I think it was pretty obvious who was doing a good job and who wasn't. Okay, who did uh, a good job? Um. Okay, so both of like the end of DIY sections did really good jobs. Okay. Um. So the um um crap. crap. This is why I always have this pulled up. Um, Eureka. Erica, Erica and uh, Nina. Uh-huh. Both did really good jobs with their respective bits. And then Sasha and um Shay? Shay, yes. Sasha and Shay both I thought did really good jobs with the just the whole idea of eating that chocolate bar in a salad and just the fact that it was clearly not a good combination was really, really funny. But also it didn't break anything either. So I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought both as bookends did really well, but then we got to see like Charlie's like massive, uh, control freak mm-hmm. type stuff coming through and just killing that even, even without like the cutaway stuff. It's just like, it's very clear that there's no air in this segment. Mm-hmm. So I really liked that. Um, I, but I do agree with you about the fashion show having like nothing happening there. It was just, it was very quick and non-existent. And I thought that was weird, especially given like how much runtime there was left when they got to the fashion show stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just I came to the conclusion I was just like, well, judging is obviously just going to be a thing, I guess. And it was kind of a long judging session, I thought. Okay. Um, but I do agree that the mini I well I don't agree that I missed the mini challenges mainly <laughs> because I didn't notice that they weren't doing them. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, I guess I don't really care that much that they're not doing the mini challenges, but it, it could also. Um, yeah, I, I I don't I guess I don't care because I didn't notice <laughs> that they weren't doing the mini challenges. Fair enough. So. See, I want these ridiculous puppets and I want them <laughs> to have to do things like jump off of a like a scaffold and take a picture, you know, <laughs> like I want them to have to do some of the ones. Cause I feel like we get a stronger sense for who can, who can uh, improvise, who's funny and who's not. I mean, maybe it's just that these Queens, I don't know how funny they are, but I, yeah. cause I, I have no sense of who can actually perform 
And I feel like by episode, what is this, episode four, I should know who's a performer. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, we get some of that from the live production. But, like, who can entertain? I don't get a strong yeah. sense of that. And I feel like there should by by week four now next week we're gonna have or tonight as we record um there's it's something about uh, the musical so there'll be some singing and then the week after that we have uh snatch game so we're getting to some of the more standard things and maybe that i'm sure that'll address some of my question marks that i've been having about uh about the season but fingers crossed fingers crossed well it's not gonna be rupaul what wins your week in genre <laughs> and reality noel it's samurai jack again um it's still really the best, probably the best thing I'm watching right now, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's Samurai Jack. What about you? I'll give it to Doctor Who. Um, okay. I've got my concerns for the season, but it was just such a lovely surprise to actually find myself straightforwardly enjoying and, and heartened <laughs> by an episode of Doctor Who because it has been a while. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend drama. That was I Wish We'd All Been Ready by The Good News Circle, of course, featured uh, in the very stark and memorable opening to the season of The Leftovers. This week in drama, I'm going to be talking about The Leftovers premiere, The Book of Kevin, also The Fargo premiere, The Law of Vacant Places, Better Call Saul, catching up with the first two episodes, especially this week's episode Witness, uh, The Americans, The Committee on Human Rights. It's been a while, so I wanted to check in with that. Then Noel and I will, will talk about American Crime, season three, episode six. Also all caught up on that one. <laughs> and then we'll round things out with the finale for the good fight, Chaos. So first up, uh, pardon me, Noel, I'm going to monologue for a while. But first up is The Leftovers, which had its premiere. And I just I just love <laughs> The Leftovers so much. It's opening where we flash back in time to the, the, the great... Um, the great disappointment, I think, is what it's called. But this 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 um, prediction of of the rapture and the end of times that ha- happened in eighteen forty four uh, with this song from oh I don't know uh, I want to say the sixties or seventies. Um, it just worked so well. It told such a complete story so beautifully before flashing forward to the end of last season, killing off a bunch of characters and the entire guilty remnant theoretically. Um, and then flashing forward three more years so that we can spend time with the actual characters we know. Um, I just It's such a distinct show. It's so focused in on its characters. It knows them so well. And having, ha- having Kevin upset because he finds out that his, some of his family have written a book about him, like he's a prophet, um, a book of the Bible about him, uh, 
course he doesn't respond well uh like it it's so awesome it's so ridiculous but then they say why and you're like yeah actually that's that's a good that's a good reason if like somebody in your family died like you shot him in the chest and he didn't go to the hospital to like the next day and he was fine and he talked about having gone to some other place and experiencing like this really intense metaphysical journey and then coming back to life again <laughs> like you of course if you're a religious person you'd be like okay there's something crazy going on here and there's something special about this place or this person or something um so i thought that was just really beautifully handled um of course carrie coon is fabulous always always glad to see her back i'm missing uh it just at least in this first episode regina king i assume this means she's not gonna be on the season and i think no i think we both agree more regina king is always good on anything, yes, more Regina King is always a good thing. Yeah, so um, uh, you know, we'll see if, if Janelle Maloney sticks around or is indeed out, which would totally make sense for the character. I would miss her, but at least um, that would make a lot of sense for the character. Uh, the the stuff that we get here, it's I don't really have a way to explain it other than it's very intense and very personal and very, um, very honed into its characters. I love what we get here, and um, it's it's just this exploration of faith and identity and and the amount of uncertainty and, and and you're willing to have in your life how much can you just give to belief and to faith and to a higher power of some sort um even if it's just the universe and and how much do you need to understand and to control and to write it down and to explain to others and to feel like you know um it's just really lovely and i continue to be very glad that the the leftovers is is back. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I. It's okay. It's not your thing. Okay. I haven't watched any of it, so I don't know if it's my thing. Well, I'm waiting for it to come on Prime. Uh, it's never gonna happen. Well, it's not never gonna happen. But like, I was about to say it'll probably happen at, at the end of this season. Yeah, but <laughs> like so good noel okay well and maybe i shouldn't say that well less good is fargo um which honestly <laughs> sucker uh the law of vegan places that's the thing the trouble i have with, with fargo is um this premiere it just felt very much like fargo i like all these actors um but even just in this third third season it's like guys the fact that it's set in north dakota like that you have north dakota accents that that shouldn't be like a laugh line at this point in the third season like we we are expecting that that's not funny listening to people talk but there's certain like elements of the timing in the editing that make it feel like the the joke is the fact that they sound funny um so hopefully they won't be leaning on too much of that uh again carrie coon is fabulous so she's the heart of she looks like she'll be the heart of the season and that's an excellent choice um but i don't really I wasn't disappointed by anything because I didn't have high expectations for it, but it was just sort of like a you know thing that I watched, and there was some you know it's nice to see Scoot McNary in a very very different role um, to, to what he plays on Hall and Catch Fire, and I like these actors, so it's nice to see them. But I just um, it's just sort of a thing that's also on. So there's nothing I don't have anything bad to say about, especially as a first episode that we were just getting things going. They're establishing what's happening, but um, yeah, this. I guess I agree with the different reviews that are coming back and saying Fargo just as good as ever. It's like, yeah, but we disagree about what that means. <laughs> right. There's a di well, also the idea that it was good. 
Uh, I think it's, it's good, but good means different things. I, I was I, as I was making posters for the Science March, um, my sister and my brother-in-law have been watching Breaking Bad for the first time, so they just had okay. an episode of Breaking Bad on, and it happened to be the One Who Knocks episode, okay. and I was just floored by because I haven't seen any of it since the show ended. I haven't gone back to watch any of it again, and just such an amazing show just like a random episode of that is so much better than anything that they're doing on fargo and is is that fair no to compare it to one of the best shows that we've made in the you know we as a a human race has has made in the past 10 or 20 years no probably not but the way that people talk about fargo feels like the way people used to talk about breaking bad and it's so not in proportion (laughs) maybe it's just the people that i hear talking about it but yeah there, there's a lot to to like about fargo but it's just a it's a good show at least based on this premiere and based on the previous two seasons it's not a great one and um moments of greatness or particularly captivating performances and partic- particularly interesting visuals aren't enough to to elevate there needs to be some more there there and there's no indication in this first episode that that'll change for season three surprise surprise um is basically my response there is more there there uh in with better call Saul, and this the first two episodes of the season i think have been really strong there's been a lot of really great stuff for Saul and jimmy or sorry for jimmy and um and his brother michael mckeon's performance in these first two is just like oh oh man just ice cold um but yeah it's still again as beautiful as lovely as it is it's not as it's nothing on Breaking Bad to to like give it unreasonable expectations, but it's still really really well done, and I'm very engaged with the characters. I, having that space off from last season to now has made it a lot easier for me to get into these first two episodes of the show without having this this dread for Kim on Kim's behalf. Um, the, the 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 show is a little too split for my taste right now between uh, Jimmy or Saul and um, and Mike. The stuff we're getting with it just. I, I look forward to it coming together, as I'm sure it will. But it feels very much like Jimmy's on this actual show about Jimmy. And Mike is there because this is a prequel to Breaking Bad. And right. so we have to do all this other stuff. They feel like they have to do all this other stuff that I don't care about. I don't care about them introducing Gus, other than, obviously, Giancarlo Esposito is fabulous. He's wonderful. I look forward to watching him on my TV in this role. But um, it just feels very obligatory. And uh, I think the staying as centered as they can on who Jimmy is and who Kim is and who these other like characters at the heart of, of the show are uh, works way better than randomly cutting away to, to watch Mike be awesome as awesome as he is. And as awesome as Jonathan Banks is Uh, the, the, the way they started the season um, again, back in black and white and the Cinnabon and everything, I continue to really enjoy the way that they're, that they are using that as like a series long, progression and um we had some really terrific um moments and reactions and everything i can uh yeah it's it's just kind of crazy to me that they're like hey cinnabon can we use you for our show (laughs) 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 they're like sure just show our logo a bunch um yeah so it's kind of funny but yeah but i i really did enjoy these first two episodes and um poor like you can see like the way if Michael McKeon's character if he just wasn't such a dick if he wasn't such a terrible brother you know if if he wasn't him and Jimmy wasn't Jimmy oh the lives they could have led <laughs> oh the lives they could have led I'm still upset like Michael McKean just didn't get any awards attention for the first season that yeah. I watched 
and also like the what little of season two I got through. I think I got through like three or four episodes mm-hmm. because he's just so good. He's really, really good. Yeah, he's so good. And yeah. it's it's ridiculous to me that he hasn't gotten any attention for that role. Yeah, he should. He, he deserves it. Certainly. Um, last up for my monologue session here at the top is the Americans, which I haven't mentioned in several weeks, but uh, I wanted I wanted to just check in with it. Um, I like it, it's a lot of the same stuff. So I don't care about Oleg. I don't care about any of that stuff with him. Um, I know I'm supposed to, but I just don't. And I don't know how much of it is a disconnect from subtitles. I don't think it's that. I want to think it's not that, so maybe I'm just fooling myself. Like, I'm fine with uh, Deutschland uh, 83, and I'm fine with um, Les Revenants, and these other, inter- like, and, and um, Borgen. Like, I'm fine reading subtitles on shows, um, but it's just I don't connect to who he is as a character, and I never have, and it makes a significant chunk of the show a little disappointing. But I do really, really love what they've been giving especially Philip this season. Uh, the, the pacing of the stuff with his son, with Misha, has, you know, I think it's been a little too stretched out, at least for what we've seen so far. I imagine there's more to come with that, but it's requiring a little too much patience for me. Um, they should they, they could use less time in a given episode for that, uh, for that portion, portion of, like, the se- season-long arc and still, I think, tell the same story. Um, but this, again, the stuff with Philip and Elizabeth, the stuff with Paige, having Henry, like, have a reason that he's been holed up. He's been studying really hard at school with school and like kicking ass and going into AP math. Like, that's awesome. I love that they, they had that, that sense of it. Um, I love Philip wondering if, if, um, Stan's new girlfriend is KGB, (laughs) which is a great little like thing that they added in. And, um, the, this stuff it's been very it's been very heavy this season what they've been giving Philip and Elizabeth to deal with and especially watching how that shapes Philip and um yeah that's just again another one of those performances where you're like Matthew Reese is killing it he's killing right. it yeah that i i've always maintained that even though the americans is not a show that i respond to i don't understand why emmy voters and like awards mm-hmm. givers don't respond to the show because even if, like, emotionally I've never been able to tap into it, I can still recognize that Russell Rees, as well as, like, some of the supporting cast are doing just phenomenal work. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of ridiculous because it also feels like it would be awards catnip and no one's given it the time of day. Yeah, I, Carrie Russell got nominated last year, right? Did Reese? I think Reese did as well but don't uh-huh. don't quote me on that yeah i'm not sure i want to say yes um yeah. but yeah no it's just they're they're doing such terrific subtle work and it's easy you know like this is the kind of show where i got behind a little bit and catching up with it i think it works actually way better in marathon mm-hmm. form because you can really see the subtle progression because there's so much detail to the yeah. show i could see why you'd want to take a breath in between but if sure. you don't you get to really watch as these characters develop and as like the these for Philip this season, these different things weigh him down more and more and more. And and with this last episode, uh, Elizabeth had a, uh, there was a Mary Kay person who came to the house, which of course took her back to the way that she destroyed her only friend we've ever seen her make on the entire show's run, um, her, her marriage and her life. Um, yeah, it's, uh, to watch that come back up here just bit by having a Mary Kay person show up 
and trigger that in her. Um, just, again, just such terrific writing, direct direction, pacing, editing, performance, all the the you know all those different elements of of television and the storytelling coming together. Uh, it's just yeah, it's it's a lot of times it's not. It is a word catnip, but it's not flashy. Right. And it's also, I think, not the kind of thing that is, is easy for awards to recognize because it isn't the underground Harriet Tubman episode where it's one right. episode. It's like a yeah. payoff to a season or or seasons of watching. Um, and so it can, I can, maybe that's why. But, you know, it's, it's a shame because they're doing such terrific work. Yeah, and I have no problem believing that. It's just, again, I've never emotionally tapped into it, and I tried. Mm-hmm. I tried yeah. so hard. I know, I know you really <laughs> did. Uh, it's basically the kind of, same kind of stuff they're doing over on American Crime, but I feel like the Americans does it much better. <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, let's transition over to American Crime. We got more Sandra O, oh, but she showed up to offer a bribe. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was sad, but a yeah. bribe for a good reason. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, the moral quandaries of that um, were nice, yeah. I thought. And probably, like, the highlight of an episode that otherwise kind of lost me in a bunch of places. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I liked that aspect of it, and I continue to like what R- Regina King's doing this season. is a really good performance as, like, the one fairly decent human being left and it's just like, I'm trying to do a good thing. You know, I'm trying to do right by all of these people and by myself. And yet, why is everyone a horrible person around me? I don't understand any of this. <laughs> um, so, no, I really like what's happening with that character and with King's performance. So I And I was glad to have Sandra O oh back kind of like be morally compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, for an okay reason. <laughs> so how do you feel about them killing Shay? Because I, I have some thoughts on that. This is where they lost me is yeah. like the sheer kind of randomness of it was a bit much. And it's not random in a way that I feel like worked. It was there's no buildup to mm-hmm. the degree to which uh, the other woman reacts, basically, for me. Mm-hmm. And so to take what looked like a nail file or something along those lines yeah. to the back of someone's skull just I kind of hard went, enough to get the artery. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, there's no, like no rage build up in this house to like justify this woman's sh- sheer anger and paranoia. Mm-hmm. Um, that it just it feels really weird, and it feels like a an attempt at a gut punch that isn't doesn't land anywhere. Really, it feels to me like they punished her for leaving the shelter. That's yeah. what it feels like. And for not sure. getting the abortion and for making these choices that not necessarily the best choices for her to be making. But like, I, I've had a little trouble with the way that the show has shown, has depicted camming, which I have mm-hmm. no experience with other than I listen to the Savage Love podcast because it's fabulous. You guys should listen to it if you're curious about, you know, sex advice or just a funny podcast with Dan Savage. Um, but this idea that it's, because it's sex work, it's ne- it's required to be exploitative and negative and demeaning and all these different things. And it can be that, but it doesn't have to be that. And then to have right. her be killed <laughs> for doing that, you know, like into even a more desperate situation. She feels like it's even more desperate than when she was being pimped out, pimped out as right. a young teenager. Like, 
I don't know. I just, it felt, it felt toned up to me. And it, like you said, it just felt like it escalated out of nowhere. And this brings back that question I was having in episode four. We're at episode six now of eight. Is there going to be a purpose to this season besides watching horrible things happen to people? Yeah. And I, 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 that was where I landed with this episode was I'm not finding a point this season in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. I'm finding like, a thematic drive of how consumption capitalism and economic imperatives sort of get balled up in morality and how we're all victims victimized by this particular type of system. But there's no sense of where this is going. All of these people, even at upper echelons um, are just really horrible to people. And Mm -hmm. there doesn't seem to necessarily be an out anywhere. Yeah. And or a sense of not things are going to be okay because American crime has never been things are going to be okay, but a sense of how can we make this a little bit better somehow? Yeah. Of why am I watching this? Right. And I think that that's where this season's kind of like really stumbled is that there's not a sense of, well, if we just listen to one another or if we just talk to one another or if we acknowledge that some people's situations aren't necessarily uh, conducive to existing, mm-hmm. um, we'd all be a little bit better. It doesn't take that much. But here, it just feels like everything's so overwhelming that there's no way to make anything at least marginally improved for anyone. Yeah. And that's really kind of troubling to see that. And I, I, I just, I don't know like what you like what you just said i don't know what the point is right now and that's really frustrating yeah the only characters that it looks like are going to go all the way through the season is kamara regina king's character and felicity huffman's character right and that's it everybody else will be half a season at most and uh, or i guess you know five or six episodes for shay and that's you know i'm not i'm not as connected to this new person that Kamara is trying to help as I was to Shay, just based on the sheer amount of time, yeah. there's not enough time left for me to connect with that character the way I had with the previous. So, you know, it's, it's just a little disappointing. Um, Cause of course these are terrific actors and it's very important topics to explore and discuss. And like, it's great that somebody wants to do that, but I feel like there should be more to, they should have you know, the writers and the producers and the directors should have more to say than, isn't this terrible yeah so yeah they should and they don't really and um also thank you for bringing up like the camming discussion as well because well it's like exploitive in her particular type of situation to a large degree Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be either which is an important point to make and And i liked that that one client of hers was not necessarily what you'd anticipate that was a good like counter to that but yes the whole setup was very it was just very skeezy so yeah. Uh, well, that sort of eh, is going to kind of take us into the good fight finale. <laughs> Chaos. Because yes. it was just a sort of lukewarm yes. finale for me. Though right. I was very invested with Diane and uh, and, and Kurt. Can we just talk about how nice that was? Them uh, rectifying that, not rectifying the mistake, but acknowledging the mistake a little bit. And trying to fix it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, as far as I'm concerned, it still never happened because I called BS on that. <laughs> we would show nothing in the entirety of The Good Wife, uh, to, to anything about that character, to give you any sense that this is a thing he would ever do. So, right. 
Anyways, uh, how did you feel about the rest of the Good Fight finale? Um, so I wrote about this a little bit in my review that it's all fine. It's all kind of entertaining, but it's it's rests on really sloppy, stupid plotting of mm-hmm. uh, the uh, U.S. attorney putting a unverified thumb drive into his networked computer. And it's just like, that's not how chain of evidence works. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not how any of this works. But because we need them to go after Luca so that they can find out about Dylan Stack, um, who, by the way, just continues to be one of Jason Biggs' best characters. I just love (laughs) him as Dylan Stack. It's really really perfect use of Biggs' particular use of just kind of innocuous sliminess. Yeah. And Stack is just a really good use of that. Um, Anyway, so all of it just feels too inelegant and too motivated to get there. And even the breakup between Colin and Luca feels motivated to get to where they are and for this episode to be where it is. Mm -hmm. Then from a character progression or from a well thought out plot idea. Yeah. And that's basically where I ended up landing with it is that this this is entertaining. And I, I like watching Jason Bartha just look really upset to be on the stand because um, he's so upset that all of this is happening. And mm-hmm. I really like that. But all of it is just it's too poorly motivated. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It was just dumb. He's dumb. And I, I just wine con the um, states, the uh, U.S. attorney it was just dumb and it was just really frustrating to watch that um and that that's kind of where i left with like the big case was like this is just but i the other thing that i will say that was really frustrating about the case is that we finally finally got to see barbara in court and then adrian took over and i was like no I was knowing at that last shot of of Adrian and Diane, and then they pull back, and Barbara is like listening to them. And I'm like, oh god, don't tell us they're gonna have Barbara not liking Diane because oh well, no, heaven forbid, two successful women. Well, Barbara's never liked Diane. Yes, at the very least, this has been a very consistent thing, and even Barbara's insecurities about Adrian and Diane have been things that have been very common throughout the run of the season. But, A, yes, two powerful women, but also just the fact that I don't necessarily care about another law firm power play here, mm-hmm. and I, I, don't, I, I, I don't care, is yeah. the thing. Like, it boils down to, like, our discussion with the Reddick episode a couple of weeks ago, and me just going, I don't need this again. Mm-hmm. And you also just reaffirmed Barbara and Adrian as a power duo with the very purposeful callback between Will and Diane. And while Will and Diane were at each other's throats every now and then, they always got back together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the core of that relationship was they always got back together because they're Will and Diane. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it goes back to one of my major things that I need them to do next season is – be more character driven and be more character focused mm-hmm. because so much of this was really fell in love with the politics of what they could do that like stuff about Diane trying to figure out where she fits Maya. Um, and we can, we need to talk about Maya uh, Maya's where she fits in the law firm. And then Luca's relationship with Colin just kind of like, we're all like little pieces of 
cool ideas that never got the space that they needed for me in a lot of places, except for Maya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of what I want from season two is just like a more character focus. But how did you feel about like the rest of the finale? And what are you hoping for from season two? I like that we had confirmed that no, her parents did it. Maya's parents absolutely did it. And the mom was in on it. And yeah. so was Jack's like, yeah. it was good that they just locked that down. I like that they did that. The, the dad took off. Um, even if I don't, I don't think we saw anything in that interview with the Jane Lynch character that holds up in court as intentional perjury. Right. You know, uh, not relaying the correct information is different than lying. If she was being yeah. asked about memories from like 10 years prior, um, why would there be an expectation that she would necessarily remember it all exactly? They asked her to the best of your, your, your knowledge, is this correct? And then she said yes. And I don't understand why that would possibly be something that she could get five years in prison for that could fall under perjury. So um, they're going to have some work to do on that. Uh, yeah, but she's also not going to stay in jail. Well, she's not. But I mean, like the way that they, again, maybe that was just um, uh, Maya's father's lawyer trying to like twist his arm, like overhyping it to twist his arm to get him to take the deal. Yeah. Um, so maybe that, but I just, it just felt, felt very phony to me, very trumped up and, and not appropriate to, what anybody on the show should be concerned about, you know, they should mm-hmm. all be smarter than that. The promise of more Jane Lynch, though, is a good thing. The promise of more Carrie Preston and Matthew Perry next season at some point is a good thing. Assuming they follow up on that. The stuff with Luca and Colin, I have the same issues with them as I've had all season long. Uh, as much as I do enjoy those performers, and I certainly en- enjoy Luca and Maya. Um, like Luca coming over to Maya's at the end uh, is nice. Yeah, I would like more of a sense that they are not peers. I think the show hasn't done a good enough job of that. Yeah, because Maya's baby lawyer. She's like brand new. She's been a lawyer for three months. Yeah, like she should be going over to Luca's place. You know, right? <laughs> Which doesn't wouldn't work here because they need the police need to come. But you you yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, I there's do. yeah. So, like, we get that mentee relationship very strongly with Diane, but they they should, you know, have a little more thought as to where Luca fits in the spectrum, I think. Right. But I also wonder how much Luca cares about that kind of thing, too. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, I don't think that, like, in the office and, like, referring type stuff, I think there's something that she would care about because Luca, above all, is generally really puts a heavy pride in professionalism, as we even saw, like last season of yeah. the good wife um and how like um whatchamacallit the uh the particular court system that she was in worked yeah bond um court. bond court thank you i kept confusing with probate court like all last season i was about to do again but then i remembered that it's not probate court mm-hmm. i don't know why i kept doing that anyway mm-hmm. uh so in bond court she just is like super like these are this is how this works type of thing with alicia and i think that that's how that would be applied to maya as well but I do feel like that once outside the office, Luca doesn't necessarily care about that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, but that's just because of who she is and Luca don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I feel like Maya should have some awareness of it too. You know? Sure. That's fair. 
but Maya's um, also just oblivious to everything. <laughs> that's very true. Um, would like for next season, much stronger sense of who Maya is outside yeah. of her family and also her relationship with, with I want to say, is it Amy? Uh, yes. Yes. Also some sense of who Amy is would be nice too. That would be nice. Um, hopefully Helen York is um, available a bit more. I'm assuming that's why we just never saw her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Yeah. yeah, no, I'd like more of their relationship and to interplay and just basically the show just needs to find a really nice balance going forward and better plot itself out mm-hmm. for 10 episodes because I really still don't feel like this was a solid. It was solid, but it wasn't a it skated by on being really good at what they've done previously. It's skated by on tone and energy. Right. And and and. Um and dynamic kind of back and forth um, mm-hmm. exchanges. And yeah. and also by the, by the fact there's nothing else on TV right now that has this particular energy. Yeah. Um, and, and, and certainly the, 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 the fire it drew, drew from the moment and from the election and, and wanting to tackle social issues and, and really keying into the anger of Diane, um, of the people at, you know, the firm, uh, Reddick Bozeman. Um, and, and just also a probably sizable chunk of the viewership and the audience for this show. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was, gave it a lot of, of, uh, of, of juice this season really got, gave it a lot to play with. So hopefully they can make some tweaks and if they're interested in making tweaks, I'm not sure that they are. Right. Hopefully they will. And we can get the full potential, the realization of the full potential of the show next season. Well, and I think that's kind of the key thing to remember, and I made a mention of this in my review of the finale, is is that they're not back until 2018. Mm-hmm. So there's basically a whole year of Trump that they're not going to get to comment on. Yeah. And that's a lot of momentum to lose for a show that really propelled itself by that momentum. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really curious about how they respond to a shift in a political landscape or like sh- what they bring out from being off for a year, basically, and what that does to them. And if they sort of steer out of the moment a little bit to refocus on Maya, Diane, and Luca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Who knows what it'll, what 2018 yeah. will even bring. Yay! Yay! Uh, what wins your week in drama? That's a great question. Um... I don't know. How was elementary this week since you got to see it and I did not? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was some fun stuff. Yeah, it sounded like a fun episode. Um, I hate my DVR. Um, I guess I'll give it to Underground, even though we didn't discuss it this week. Mm-hmm. It was it was a it was a fine episode, but it was also very much a here's all the pieces in place for the last couple episodes type of episode. Um, yeah. But I liked all the Cato stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot so I'll give it to underground I guess but nothing else really wowed me this week uh, mm-hmm. so what about you I'm, I'm assuming leftovers the leftovers yes right. yeah. 100% yeah. the leftovers <laughs> I loved it so much okay very glad it's back anyways um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode you can find a post for this episode up at theteleverse.org the website for the podcast you can leave a comment there and let us know what you thought be like uh, fiction isn't real and let us know what you thought um, you can also email us theteleverse at gmail.com you can find us on Facebook like the page and start up a conversation there you can also of course find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chapter feed that lets you skip back and forth between the different shows that we talk about so avoid spoilers as well as an MP3 feed which doesn't have those chapter breaks you can also find us on Stitcher and we would appreciate ratings and reviews both on 
Stitcher and on iTunes, um, if you guys can spare the few moments to do that. Um, we are also both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK, and you can find me writing about The Flash again starting next week um, mm-hmm. over at tbi.com. And where can people find your writing online, Kate? They can find me writing about Beep over at the AV Club uh, with my reviews going up Sunday nights. So we will now take a break. And Noel, bid you a fond adieu. Bye. <laughs> and I'll be back um, with Caroline Sita of the AV Club to talk about girls. The entire series run. So many, so many things to, to discuss. I'll be right back after this. Hannah, your mother and I, we feel that it may be time for one final push. What is a final push? No more money. So I calculated and I can last in New York for three and a half more days. Maybe seven if I don't eat lunch. You should never be anyone's slave. Is that mine? He never, ever texts you back. My entire life has been one ridiculous mistake after another. When you get hungry enough, you're going to figure it out. Physically hungry or like hungry for the job? I am your energy i have been dating someone who treats my heart like it's monkey meat it's a bummer but people do outgrow each other will you still have sex with me when it's appropriate sure you're smarter than this Hannah. you could be a little more supportive you are so self-involved you are always like this this is why you have no friends from preschool i have a lot of friends from preschool i'm just not speaking to them right now you could not pay me enough to be 24 again well they're not paying me at all of my generation or at least a voice of a generation i think you are on tape a bit yes i'm a lady she's a lady you're a lady we're the lady please stop the fight oh shit i could change the world one extremely dumb girl at a time and when i look at you i see a pupil thank you we're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined this week by friend of the show, returning friend of the show. So glad to have you back, Caroline Cedar from the AV Club. Uh, welcome back, and uh, thank you for coming on to talk girls. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Now, this is sort of like the end of an era. I've been seeing lots of coverage of the finale of Girls centered around it's the end of the think piece era. Um, and I'm curious if you have any any thoughts on that. I feel like for me, it's more of over the span of Girls Run tv exploded prestige tv exploded to the point where we couldn't all cover everything (laughs) which listeners of the televerse will have listened to me experience in real time um so i feel like it's less about girls specifically so much as now there's just too many shows what do you think is it something specific about girls um yeah i don't know i do think it was such such a watershed um moment when it debuted it there was so much controversy about it and so much discussion about it and I actually think that that like did the show a disservice I think a lot of people projected things onto the show before it started and that that sort of became a defining there's the idea of girls and then there's girls itself you know what I mean and and I think I'm a I was very aware of that because I actually sort of avoided watching the show for a long time um, just cause it's, I don't know, it seemed like too much. And I was like, this seems like an intense show and I don't want to engage in that. And I don't think I even started watching till maybe like season three and I caught up and I was like, oh, this show is nothing like my cultural understanding of this show. It's actually just like a funny and self-aware comedy. Mm-hmm. Like that's really all it is. It's just a comedy, <laughs> <laughs> but it became this sort of massive thing. And maybe it is one of the last shows other than I guess Game of Thrones, where it feels like 
everyone's talking about it. Like just off mic, we were just listing the shows we were watching. And I feel like half the ones you listed, I'd never heard of. And I mm-hmm. feel like, there, you know, there used to be a time where you pretty much, if you were into TV, you could be into all of the popular shows. And I feel like, as you were saying, that's like almost impossible to do now. And maybe Girls is one of those last shows that really felt like this is a cultural moment we're all having together. Yeah, well, and in so much of that, I think just, and <laughs> oh, listeners, if you haven't stopped listening because of my feminism yet, it will, of course, rear its head in our girls segment here. Um, but I think uh, so much of the reception around girls is so frustratingly, like when it came out, uh, patriarchal, and just the sense that it's a show by a 20-something uh, young woman, or, you know, woman, uh, clearly it can't be fictional, it must be based on her real life and it it can't just be a show about characters it must be like that's ridiculous that she would actually come up with this creator would come up with a show the way that any other person would come up with a show it must be autobiographical there it must be trying to like really capture the zeitgeist in this real thing and so that's why um, it, it was so frustrating to see that reaction around the show like this. It, it, it has to be real life. It has to be true. It has to, And if it's not in any way that that's somehow a strike against the show rather than a fictional narrative choice. And we see that even just recently in all the talk around Hannah would have never gotten that job. It's like, no, she also wouldn't have been able to afford her apartment on like the two times we ever see her yeah. writing. I mean, like so much of the show is fantasy um but there it feels like it's Lena Dunham as the creator of the show co-creator of the show and just girls as an entity was just so bogged down by these these just sexist and also based on like age ageist sort of um assumptions that a 20 something woman it, of course can't create fiction yeah i always think it's interesting you know cuz of course there's there's tons of valid criticism of girls. Like I will be the first one to, to point that out. But what's interesting to me is to contrast the way we talk about girls versus the way we talk about other shows. And that's when I start to be like, Hmm, this feels like this is being held to some sort of different standard. Um, and that is where like things start to annoy me because I think we have a lot of TV shows and certainly movies that are made by, young men and that's sort of treated as the norm and and I think as you were saying like with girls there was this like well why did Lena get this and then, and it became this weird narrative of like oh her her parents are famous in the industry so they got her a tv show and she's just like hasn't earned this mm-hmm. um I mean her parents are like like a painter and a photographer you know I mean yeah. not that they aren't successful in those fields but that's not like a household name you know what I mean and I'm not sure that having a painter father is what gets you into the door in Hollywood like essentially her narrative is she made a film like an indie film it was very successful and then she went on to more success and I think that that is the narrative that has just become the norm for men in Hollywood like pretty much men just have to make any sort of barely competent indie film now and they're handed a blockbuster franchise like how many times have we seen that um, someone goes from the small film to this giant blockbuster. And again, that's like the norm. And, you know, and it doesn't matter what their parents do. It doesn't matter if they come from a wealthy family. That's like, yeah, that's how it is. You know, the people that are successful are going to just become more successful. But somehow with Lena Dunham, that becomes this like crime against humanity. Mm-hmm. And again, if we want to critique the whole system and say, hey, it's really, you know, unfortunate that people that come from privilege have more success in Hollywood. I am so down for that. But to <laughs> highlight her alone and say, like, she's the only problem in this system, that is the sort of thing that just really bugs me. Well, yeah, and you can look at, obviously, these shows, 
came later, but you can also look at the reactions to Atlanta. Nobody was saying, so like, earns based on your experience, right, Donald Glover? Right. Or Insecure, where again, it's, it feels like there's more of this connection to, well, it must be like your real life. Um, yeah. The the kind of responses that these different shows are getting. It's like a peek inside the real world of, it's like, it's another show. And it's, these are all shows that I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, the react, like, we've talked about this off mic Plenty, listeners, <laughs> never you fear. And I don't want to get too distracted from talking about the specifics of girls. But yeah, it is something that in the most recent wave of, of pieces about the end of girls and about the reaction to it, it just kept stirring these frustrations up in me, I guess. Um, and that, that, that connection of privilege is something that I think is just intrinsic to conversations about girls because these are very privileged characters and because of the, you know, the, the, the connections that pretty much all of the, 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 all four of the main cast have to other notable or famous in certain circles, families. Um, and yet I think, you know, six seasons on at the end of girls, you can't point to a weak link in their cast. You can't point people are like, Oh, it's Lotion Mamet. Mamet just got this job because she's a Mamet or, you know, you know it's, Oh, it's Brian Williams daughter. So that's why she got cast. But these are really talented and creative and very well suited to their characters. Um, performers who I think did a really terrific job over six seasons of crafting these characters. Yeah. And I mean, how many times are people are like, oh, Ben Stiller, he just got into the industry because his dad's famous, you know? I mean, if yeah. we want to go through, oh, Kiefer Sutherland, like that dude just had a famous dad. Like, again, yes, Hollywood works in a way where if yeah. your parents are successful and famous, you have a leg up. Find a critique it as a whole. Yeah. It's not critique. America works show. that yeah, way. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Indeed. Well, um, let's let's dive in, I guess, with, with girls and this, let's start with the, I guess, the finale, which just aired. How did you feel about the, like, where the show like looking at where it started and where it, where it ended off. And it, it, instead of being girls, it very much is centered on, I, I'm curious what you think about that plural of girls, because it feels like to me, this is very much all the way through Hannah's story. And I think yeah. that's underlined in the finale, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah. Hannah and like Marnie really stuck in there, which I really, I actually, I mean, my favorite part of the finale was that opening where Marnie's like, <laughs> I'm the one that's still here, which I, I win. Like is, yeah. It's like something that, that is so true to the show, but had never like fully been articulated that way before. Mm -hmm. um, it really does feel like it's Hannah and Marnie with like Jessa and Shosh is like a little bit more of the supporting characters. Like when you look back at the series as a whole, um, in terms of the finale, I actually really hated it. I didn't enjoy it at all. <laughs> I know it's a controversial one and people have sort of been trying to, you know, there have been its defenders. I think overall, maybe it wasn't the best received. Um, my main problem was just that I found that whole, like, Oh, my baby won't nurse for me. I just feel like that is the hackiest sitcom plot. It has been done in every sitcom, but I think girls, like, it, it didn't seem self-aware about that. Like, for some reason, mm -hmm. they were like, oh, wow, we have this beautiful metaphor that no one's thought of, and let's put that to use, and, and they didn't quite realize, like, how, I mean, I just feel like that's every sitcom about a baby. It's like, oh, I'm not bonding with a baby, or oh, it doesn't like my breast milk, or whatever. So that just felt really sort of trite to me. Um, I think that the previous episode, Goodbye Tour, for me, functioned better as a finale, Um but again, Girls is a show that I think has always had really high highs and really low lows. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe in a way it's appropriate for it to go out on like what is, in my opinion, a so-so finale. Um, but when I look back on the series as a whole, like those low episodes are never, they don't like mar my experience with the, the positive ones. So like I'm disappointed with the finale. 
But I think when I look back on the show in like a year or whatever, that's not going to be, it's not like How I Met Your Mother where it feels like the finale sort of retroactively maybe taints some of the show that came Negated the experience, like, yeah. Yeah. This feels like, okay, that was a misstep in my view, but like overall I will have a, a very positive um, sort of thoughts about the girls' final season. Well, certainly for me with, with girls, the the faults of the show, like the, the those cringy episodes where you remember back on a, a sequence or an arc for a character or, um, or even just an episode as really not liking that episode, having problems with it. For me, it doesn't mar the whole because – of the types of mistakes or problems that the show had and made. So we were, I mean, we, I mentioned Donald Glover earlier. I think back on the, see, look, I'm casting a not white person. Like mm-hmm. that really, it's so, so bad. The way like, that responds um, as far, I mean, I just, I don't think it works. I don't think it's effective in the story. And I think it's just so obsessed with the, the meta narrative or the discussion around the show, which I mean, I certainly don't fault a, a creator for especially someone who has less experience dealing with that sort of response in the industry um for for having that response but like it certainly doesn't for me negate any other part of my experience because the mistakes that the show made tended to not be ones based on character they tended mm-hmm. to be in other elements of the writing and so is, is that something that is that a a character or a relationship that the show needed or that really worked? No, but did it make sense for Hannah to like involve herself with somebody who she didn't know anything about, didn't care about just to make a point to herself? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, obviously we've had these sort of season long and now series long stories that have unfolded, but I think girls is also like a very episodic show. Mm -hmm. And there, there were, I mean, I feel like at least once a season, there's sort of an episode that's just removed from the main story that's going on. Um, like this season was that American bitch one where she goes to interview the the guy that's sort of been accused of um, maybe some non-consensual like sexual arrangements with his young fans. Um, and it just feels like the show is never afraid to be like, now we're just going to stop what we're doing season wise and like tell a little individual story. And so, yeah, maybe in the long run, some of those little awkward sort of turns that the show took they almost matter less because it's like yeah okay I could just segment that awkward episode out or whatever Mm -hmm. um but I I totally agree that I think that the show is for the most part very very strong with its character work very consistent at least with the four girls I think sometimes some of the supporting characters could kind of disappear or change in an odd way um maybe just sometimes I think down to like actor contracts and stuff um, but I think with the four girls in particular, I think that the show is very strong throughout and sort of like charting their, their journeys. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the four leads here. And I've got to say by the, I was surprised to see, surprised and then not surprised to see the turn they took with Shoshana mm-hmm. in, in the last season. I think it makes complete sense and is very appropriate for the character, obviously. Uh, would I have liked Shoshana and Ray to, to like you know, sidle off into the sunset together. Sure. Even though it goes uh, against um, an issue I know that we both share about the bizarre and unmentioned age differences in, in casting of, of TV shows and movies. But, um, but I think the way that they went instead, this season actually worked really nicely. And um, I, I think Shoshana, of the four girls, Shoshana is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Even if, you know, maybe she didn't, some of her choices in the, in this last season, 
I think they're very valid. I don't know. I'm, I'm pondering out loud here about Shoshana, but um, I, I really liked the specificity of that character and the, the, it felt very true to me of the person who finds himself in a group of friends and you kind of forget how you even ended up with these friends and are you even friends with them? Um, and that's sort of been her role throughout the series. And, and I really always enjoyed when they gave her more to do because I think she really helped balance the tone of the show. Yeah, and I think I read recently that she was actually supposed to be less of a presence on the show, but people just responded to the character so well. And I do think you can sense that sometimes, that she's the one out of the four that almost feels like wedged in there a little more. And I also really like her, and I think she's great. So in a way, I mean, I'm not sure I fully love that she wasn't in so much of the season. Like, I can intellectually see what they're trying to do with this, like, oh, surprise, she's had this whole life on screen. I'm not sure it fully, like tracked with her appearances that she wouldn't have been mentioning this at the time she was on the show um so yeah I mean it was an okay choice in my opinion like if I if the show had in an alternate universe just had had more shows this season like I also would have been very happy <laughs> down with that too yeah. <laughs> yeah um but I was actually always a Ray and Marnie shipper I think Marnie actually was the one that I was in the end I really like where she ended up she was the one that this season it felt like last season Marnie had taken like all of these steps forward and it was super exciting but then I feel like they almost wanted to to have her take that journey again in the final season. So I almost feel like they had to, it was like two steps back. And again, it's the sort of thing where you can argue like, oh, well, that's realistic. People, you know, their lives are not a straight trajectory. Um, to me, it felt more like a bit of lazy writing. And like let's, you know, she has this huge realization in season five, but then let's walk it back in season six so that she could have that huge realization again. And um, that was kind of disappointing to me, I would say, uh, to, to see that. And like, I mean, Desi talking about girls characters that never worked for me desi is a character that like just i mean the amount that we got in the season was just insufferable for me so that was that was like one of the lesser parts of season six but i do think in the end they they ended with marnie in a really a really good place for her <laughs> i love the empathy that girls has for marnie because she's f***ing terrible mm-hmm. and they don't shy away from that either they, I, yeah. I love that they can end the show with her on the porch with Hannah's mom and kind of realizing some stuff. And, like, you're in such – the show, again, there has such warmth for Marnie, even after she's being terrible all the time. And, like, the stuff with Desi is so just irritating. It, it, it just – Every time he's on screen, and and hats off to the actor because he did a terrific job in getting us to not like Desi. But I, I, I for me, it was so true. Like I can see, I've seen those relationships, and 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 the way that she gets hooked in with him, and just reinforcing all of her narcissism. Um, yeah, it just it was very true. But that makes it even harder to watch sometimes. So to yeah. to, to have the show be so. Uh, just at the same time so sympathetic and also unflinching about all the issues Marnie has. I, for me, Marnie is the most interesting character mm-hmm. on the show um, yeah. for that reason. Yeah. And I do think that that's the thing that girls doesn't quite get enough credit for. There is, I think sometimes when people talk about it, and maybe it's just people who haven't actually watched the show and they're just sort of trying to weigh in, but there's a sense where it's like, because the show finds ways to be sympathetic to Marnie, which I agree that it does, or to all of the characters, really. People are like, oh, well, it, it sort of is like liking them or it's on their side or mm-hmm. it's saying that this is good behavior. But it's this mix of like empathy for Marnie and also such self-awareness that she's the worst and in the ways that <laughs> all of the girls are the worst, right? And so I think that the show, it's just so much more self-aware than, than it's like, 
I think individual people that watch the show do understand the self-awareness, but the sort of like cultural persona of girls, I think does not factor in that self-awareness. Like every single moment this show is like, yeah, Marnie is the worst. Hannah especially is the worst. Mm -hmm. And it is empathetic to them, but, but yeah, I think it's the self-awareness that is so enjoyable to me. Like I think of the um, moment in the beach house episode, I think where they're like, doing their they do the like dance or whatever the choreographed dance and then Marnie's immediately like okay now let's do it again but do it more perfectly you know and that's the whole (laughs) the show is like so aware of these crazy type a tendencies that she has and to me that's like where the humor comes from so yeah and again I think that like critics and and people are picking up on that I don't mean to say that like no one understands girls (laughs) but I do think that in this sort of you know cultural awareness of it that's what it doesn't get enough credit for yeah, certainly. Um, for for Jessa, I feel like that's the character that got um, hampered the most by actor availability. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's another, like, I, I loved when they had Jessa and Adam get together and they sold that and they made it work so well. Like, I, for me, season five is one of the strongest of the, of the series. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And um, the, the arc of that over the previous season and then again into this season, the, the handling of that character again is so thoughtful. And so she can be so casually cruel and also thought and also just immediately understand Hannah in a way that none of her other friends do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I really, that's the character that I think surprised me the most that, that I hadn't seen as much other places. Yeah, I totally feel that way. And Jess is a sort of a character that I always had the hardest time connecting to, I think. And I was surprised by how moving I found her story in this final season. Um, particularly that scene after she's broken up with Adam and then she goes to sort of like hook up with a stranger in a bathroom. Like, I was shocked by how moving I found that and how moving I found the performance. Yeah. And um, I mean, talk about like finding empathy for a character who can like at times be like, the worst of them all in a way I think that she's the one that that like will even more so than Marnie she's the one that will annoy me the most um and then I thought her final the final um sort of apology scene she had with Hannah again was like one of the most moving parts of the season where they're both sort of acknowledge that they're not even fully sure why they're fighting and that they you know they do have this place in each other's lives in some fashion um so yeah I was surprised by how by how into Jess's story I was this season as a character that I'd always sort of had at the the bottom of my girl's ranking, <laughs> I guess. Do you have any thoughts on Hannah other than, obviously, she's our main character. She's where the the lens through which we're seeing a lot of our action. Um, how did you feel about the thing, like, turns the show took? Like, by the way, she's had OCD this whole time. And yeah. some of these other turns that we got with her, did that work for you? Uh, or did it feel too much, like, how can we manipulate the plot? Um, well, first of all, I just, I love Hannah like I I mean you said Shosh is your favorite Hannah has always been my favorite I feel like she is my id like if I were if I let every terrible impulse I've ever had come out I feel like I would just become Hannah so I have a lot of empathy for her in that way and again I think that the show's the show's self-awareness about her terribleness is just delightful for me so I've always been like hardcore team Hannah as a character not as a human being um (laughs) So, yeah, I do think that the show sort of, you know, comes in waves of strength. It's not a show that sort of like has a steady progression of quality or anything. It's really sort of been up and down and there's things I like and dislike at different points. But I think overall, Hannah's been, I mean, she really has been 
far more of a protagonist than the other girls. This is not as much of an ensemble show as I think it's sometimes sold as. Like, especially this season, like, the premiere was pretty much all Hannah. It just felt like there were a lot of moments where it's just Hannah, which, you know, I'm fine with. I'm, again, I really like her. Um, So, yeah, I think that there's been ups and downs with her. Again, didn't fully love the final, the finale. Um, That felt like a little bit of a, of a, I don't know, a retread or they set her back a little bit. Um, But overall, I think I'm very, I've been very pleased with Hannah as in addition to the pop cultural landscape. (laughs) Well, yeah. And that type of character who is both completely dependent upon everybody else and demand. She's so, she's so immature while also it's, it's been fun for me to watch her strive for maturity and to watch her, um, you know, just go through and make these mistakes, go through her life and make so many mistakes. But you, even when she's being petty or being difficult or being very, very self-involved, it, I think it's important that we always, at least I always got the sense that she was coming from good places with this stuff. So she wasn't seeing how compl- how much, for example, her other friends needed her at various times when, you know, she, she was, she just was unaware that she that all this stuff was going on in Shosha's life, and Shosha was engaged. She didn't even know Shosha was dating anyone, like they talk about in the finale. And that's because she should have been being a better friend. But there's no, it's never out of malice, mm-hmm. um, unlike some of the other characters. And I feel like that's that's crucial for why Hannah works, at least for me, as well as she does. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. There's nothing malicious about her selfishness. It's <laughs> it's like charming if you can sort of remove yourself from thinking like oh this person would be terrible to actually hang out with and if you can just appreciate them as a character which again I feel like you know no one watches The Sopranos and judges that I'm like how much would I like to hang out with these Tony, people yeah. you know you just yeah. judge them as characters which that's sort of my perspective on Hannah um yeah I really enjoyed that the episode I think it was the hostage situation I think is what it was called the one where she and um Marnie and Desi sort of go up to a cabin and have a breakdown and that felt yeah. like a really nice turning point for Hannah being putting someone else first um, mm-hmm. maybe for the first time ever yeah um, and that was that was really nice to see from her that she could have a little bit more of an adult impulse than maybe we'd seen before <laughs> yeah the, the friendship of Marnie and Hannah like watching that watching them break apart from each other like I, I think of that phone call um between the two of them in season like was it season one or season two when they're realizing how how much they need each other but there's they're still all messed up and they can't actually talk they can't actually you know relate but neither one of them wants to hang up because they know like that Mm -hmm. that is so powerful and the way that 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 friendship has tracked over the seasons i think is really um the core of the show i mean and, and by just marnie's presence in the finale without most of the other characters I think kind of speaks to that as well but the mm-hmm. other friendship that that is at the heart of the show for me is Hannah and Elijah and I mm-hmm. love I love all the time we got with Elijah this season Andrew Reynolds is just delightful yeah although I guess I just have to say this it is insane that they that the show I mean Andrew Reynolds looks amazing like may yeah. I ever look that good in my life it is insane that they are pretending that he went to school with these people when Andy Reynolds is a good 10 years older than the rest of the cast. Like, that to me just blows my mind. That they're just... It's like, again, if we want to talk about girls existing in an alternate universe, like, somehow Elijah is a contemporary of... Oh, I buy it. 
I buy it because of this the 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 moisturizing that man must do. Yes. I mean, it's true. He you know <laughs> he looks amazing. Yeah, I've always liked Elijah. He's never. I don't know. He's he's never been a he's been a character that I so enjoy watching and mm-hmm. that but that I'm not sure always gets the same emotional weighty stories as the rest of them. And I did really yeah. like, I think, you know, talk about Andrew Reynolds as a, as a beautiful talent, that episode where he gets broken up with and he's sort of, I just had this image of him. There's like just a close up of his face and like tears welling up in his eyes. And I think that those moments when he really got stuff to do was great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, as pure like comic relief, like you really can't ask for someone better than Andrew Reynolds. <laughs> he was just wonderful at all points. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I know for a lot of people, if we're just going to go through characters here before we run out of time, we got to mention, obviously, uh, Adam and Ray. And then there's all the peripheral, like Laird and Caroline. There's a bunch of other. Uh... And remember when Charlie was on the show? That was yeah. one of the weirdest things. That was the, I mean, I think that's the biggest, like, actor departure, mm-hmm. totally throwing the show off the rails for a little bit. Yeah. Um, Although it was nice to have him back last season. Yeah, for that one episode. But I think that that's what – more shows should be like that. The characters yeah, break up and then you don't see them anymore because yeah. they broke up yeah. and they don't want to see each other as opposed yeah. to we're all going to go to the same college one town over, right? Right, kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I feel like um, Adam Driver is probably the biggest discovery of yeah. this show. He's huge and everywhere now. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on Adam and how the show is handled – the various relations. I, I love that it's been, it was willing to engage with, for example, the fun conversation we all had for a few weeks of what is rape? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Jeez. Um, yeah. It's interesting to me to compare Adam driver's career to the career of his co-stars. And I think mm-hmm. actually maybe just with all TV shows, it's interesting to compare the careers of like the male stars versus the female stars. Cause I think he's made like a dozen movies since girls premiered. And yeah. Um, I think that maybe the other women haven't always gotten those opportunities. Like Alison Williams literally just made her first movie with Get Out. Yeah. Um, you know, again, lots of other factors there, but that's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I think Adam Driver is a great actor. Adam, the character, is maybe my most hated TV character of all time. I think that the way that people feel about Hannah, where it's like an inability to separate the unlikable sort of real world character from the sort of like self-aware presentation of her mm-hmm. that's how i feel with adam i just hate him, <laughs> I, just hate him. <laughs> I find him like like terrifying in a way there's a there's mm-hmm. a physicality that he has that i yeah just find almost difficult to watch because it freaks me out so much and that's like a very specific reaction i think he's one of the most liked characters on the show again interesting to contrast the Mm-hmm. way that the female characters were received um so yeah i could enjoy adam as a character i think adam driver's performance helped a lot but like that is where the show got closest to like cringe comedy or cringe drama or unlikable drama to me mm-hmm. was adam and i'm i don't know i'm interested that not a lot of people seem to have had that reaction i don't know what that says about me or or what but yeah what are your what's your adam uh take well i i think that you know what you're keying into with the physicality of driver's performance and the intensity of it and it's mm-hmm. scary and i think that mm-hmm. is a big part of what draws hannah to adam in the first place yeah. and what fuels so much of their relationship and I, that's almost always there you don't know like he's the kind of character like is he going to just like go nuts and start hitting yeah. her 
that yeah. that is a real possibility in a lot of those intense scenes and um th- i appreciate that the show doesn't back away from that yeah. it makes it can make it hard to watch and certainly it's that's how we got that you know what is consent and what mm-hmm. is not with that the stuff with um with the sherry appleby character mm-hmm. um but yeah and and that's you know, like i wasn't surprised when he was cast in star wars as a baddie as a, yeah. like especially as an emotionally torn up and intense and you know unpredictable like that that's all there in the performance uh as adam um and and he the act uh, adam driver can do many other things he doesn't have any sense yeah. of that in like lincoln for example where he's got a right. couple scenes or but, in his real life i want to point out like he yeah. as a person seems wonderful <laughs> yeah but um but no that that threat is always there and that's another and, and i like that the show, i'm so so glad the show doesn't have them end up together it doesn't have that like some like the the episode this last season of them like pretending for the day that everything's going to be okay and they'll just be together and you know he'll just fix stuff and they can play house i i, I saw a little and i was i had to catch up with the show i got a couple weeks behind so i missed all the furor around that there was some like people didn't like the diner scene or something i thought it was beautiful I think there was just, uh, this is how I felt at least. I just literally did not know what I was supposed to take away from it. Like, obviously uh-huh. I took away, this was not a great interaction between them. I did not take away, like, now they have fully broken up and that's off the table. It was, yeah. a, it was a literal, I don't understand the plot, <laughs> not a, like, this was not a well-acted and well-written okay. moment. Okay. Um, so I think maybe that was some of the, like confusion over that also can we just say i don't think lena dunham gets enough credit for how great of an actor she is like if you watch that diner scene you know again i think people because as you're saying as you're saying before people just think oh this is her life or she's playing herself there's like a there's not a tendency to like praise her even Mm -hmm. though she is clearly you know she's a performer playing a character and she's acting that gets a little lost in the shuffle and i think the performances she gives have just been consistently great and like only getting better over the course of the series definitely and like the the vulnerability that she can show in in and like that she does in that scene like even just watching as she progresses as hannah progresses through the episode as dunham progresses the performance and you're watching like these there are these little exchanges um as they go when they go to the store and she's looking at like the thing to wash the baby in and you can see her keep being confronted with this is all fantasy this is not going to work and and it gets harder for her to to buy back into the fantasy. The way that she moves that character through the episode is just terrific. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's a hundred percent. People are like, Psh, it's, she's not a good actor. She's just playing herself, right? Because yeah. we want to believe that's what that's who Lena Dunham is. And so, um, yeah, no, it's it gets frustrating certainly. Um, any other elements? Of the, I've got a couple other elements to show. I want to I want to dive in with. briefly since we've already run long but i thought i'd throw it to you if you had any other specific news you wanted to to talk about no let's do your things because i'm I'm sure they'll be good ones (laughs) thank you um but uh okay well we have to mention i i need to mention i love the show's use of nudity Mm -hmm. and the i think um not even just take away the i think uh we have a really screwed up sense of the female and the male body in this country and so the freedom to just see Hannah around her apartment being like just being naked, like because why this is the kind of character that would lounge around naked. Mm-hmm. And then later Elijah and other characters, too, and Adam and Jessa, like that freeness with bodies and with this is what an actual body looks like. And then this is what Hannah looks like. This is what Jessa looks like. This is what like that. 
it's huge to me. It's, it was mm-hmm. absolutely huge. Because when's the last time that you can you think of any other time, Caroline, where there was a person on TV who was naked who wasn't who who didn't look like a Greek sculpture, right? Or they the the comedy was that they're oh, see they're fat, yeah, just yep. allowed to just be a person. And I think it's a perspective. Like, I think we're so used to nudity, especially nudity on HBO, being so from the male gaze. Like, and every sexualized. Time there's a naked, and sexualized. And every time there's a naked person on Game of Thrones, it's like, this person was chosen because we think they will, like, turn on a heterosexual male. Like, that yeah. is the, you know, we can talk about that show as an artistic achievement. That is also a show that just wants young boys to, like, be titillated by boobs you know yeah um and I think girls is a show that really presents nudity through the female gaze like it's not I don't know there's a there's there's a and that's I don't want to get like heteronormative that's not my yeah my focus here but I think that there is not a there is not a sexualization there's like a normalization I think Mm -hmm. that that's what it is it's like yeah this is this is a person that's just walking around and their body is not being presented for someone to ogle at. They're just sort of existing. And I think that Dunham's comfort in her own body is like, I don't know, it's like jarring, but in the best way. And I actually think that the show, again, is so self-aware. There's like a lot of such humor that it like mines from her nakedness. And the, 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 I just remember there's one where she like wants to take naked photos and, the, and I think Ray's the one taking them. And there's just like a smash cut to like, all of a sudden she's naked and posing. And like, there's a, self-awareness about the silliness of that but there's also this like really like screw you she's just gonna be naked attitude Mm -hmm. um yeah I think it's really cool what she's done and I guess with like also how sex is presented on the show that it's none of this like glossy where the curtains are blowing and we're fading to black or candles everywhere but no wax (laughs) yeah or none of the like game of thrones again like titillation is always the main goal there like it felt like there's an honesty about the sex about dunham's body about the terribleness of its characters and i think that that was maybe one of girls strongest aspects yeah and the way that watching hannah navigate that throughout the six seasons of the show and even just through the costuming which is terrific and hideous but terrific because it's supposed to be like like think of um her relationship with her weight and the character's relationship with her weight and and her body changes over the course of the show. I don't even remember. Like, in the first season, she's talking about how she's 11 pounds overweight. And if she could just lose that 11 pounds, she would be, be happy. And that's not something you see or hear as the show mm-hmm. moves on. Thinking of, like, the when they go to the beach house and the, the swimsuit that she chooses and when yeah. she's trying to look good and when she's just dressing however she, you know, like, the that's something that's really progressed. And in a quiet way, sort of in the Mm -hmm. background. And I really appreciate that. Um, And just, again, this it's the difference between nudity um, and nakedness. And and that lack of, like, the notion of, like, yeah, this is people. People are naked sometimes. That's, why would that be weird? And that nakedness is not for consumption. It's just a state of being. Um, it's really was really freeing to me because I, I didn't. It's one of those things you don't realize you haven't seen or you yeah. haven't experienced until you're presented with it, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. That's and you're a- so right about it not always being in a sexual context. Like in the finale, the nudity is like her 
in a bathtub and her mom's there and then she's like walking around her house naked and it's not yeah. at all presented like yeah this is what happens before sex it's just it's like, like you said yeah sometimes people are naked yeah <laughs> especially when they're like as strange as hannah is yeah and as tired as she likely is with, yeah. with the baby um and the other thing i want to mention was the direction and cinematography and this ties back into what you were saying earlier about the altruistic um approach of the structure sometimes where you or altruistic is the wrong word but where you'd have an episode just that you could just pull out and that's mm-hmm. one of the things i love about television is the episodic structure not everything needs to be it's like a book but in tv um having that like the show's always had a terrific eye for for its framing for you know the the lighting and the cinematography and the locations it's always been i think just really gorgeous to look at visually um but i i love the willingness to just go with tone to go use visuals to use uh, to to let directors do creative things to really tell the story in the most effective way and it, i think that for me that's the same as that idea of like okay let's have an episode where it's just hannah and patrick wilson hanging out in the yeah. house why not and we'll tell half the story through <laughs> who's on frame when who's in frame when yeah i think it's a, again i think the the weird sense that the show is somehow a documentary about 20 something girls means that it doesn't always get appreciated for things like the acting and the, and the um, sort of cinematography and the visual choices. But I also agree that they're like really smartly done. Again, there's almost like an empathy to them. There's also a real, like in the way that the show is so accepting of Hannah's nudity, there's like an acceptance of the grossness of living in New York. Like I always felt like, Hannah's apartment was so unappealing, but in a really compelling way to watch. Like it was just always seemed like gritty and dirty and hot and <laughs> gross. Not like, oh, this is my cute little, you know, like, oh, Shosh has a cute little well-decorated apartment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I like the way that the show would embrace both in the cinematography and I guess the production design sort of great embrace those like. it's This is not the Friends glamorized New York, you know, this is like a realistic not gritty, but like sort of well, realistic New York. <laughs> there's, there's like no round people, but um, <laughs> but as far as money and like having living in a shithole, yeah. yeah, definitely much more realistic with that. Certainly. Um. Okay. Well, to wrap things up here, let's say, um, favorite moment or a- aspect of the show, and the moment that we are happiest to not have to experience again. <laughs> oh man. I have an answer for the first one, but I don't know the second one. The one I'm not happy. Well, I will, maybe I'll just say like, again, as my weird, I feel like I'm the only one that feels this way, but like, I'm glad I don't have to watch Adam anymore and be freaked out. By him. <laughs> I really okay. had such a negative reaction to that character. Okay. Um, my like stand up moment. When I think of girls, moment, I always think of, is in the first season when Marnie comes home and they the two girls dance to Dancing on My Own. And mm-hmm. that is so... That to me, again, like girls, you're right. It's not a realistic show. I don't even necessarily think it's like a fully realistic depiction of, you know, 20-something women. But there were moments that were so recognizable from my own life as someone who's like a similar age to these girls. And that's the one that like... that That to me is indicative of the friendships that I've had like in my 20s is that like... We're in our own places, but sometimes we just come together and dance together and, like, don't question it. So that, to me, is, like, the little perfect – that's, like, the little perfect girl's morsel that I will take away with me. Yeah. Nice. That's lovely. That's lovely. Um, I will say, for me, I think uh, probably my favorite episode of the show 
in a wish fulfillment, it's easy to have this be your favorite episode of the show is the season five finale mm-hmm. because we get to watch all of them make positive steps forward in their life, which I feel like not enough shows appreciate that that is also a thing that happens. It's not only people making the same bad choices every now and mm-hmm. again, uh, like over and every over again. We, we do actually sometimes we make positive life choices and it's nice to see it celebrated in that finale, like watching Hannah turn down getting back together with adam over the baby like in the nicu yeah it's like that it's the strength scene. of that choice is just oh another just acting showcase for both of them um but but so watching and then shosh going off to japan and jessa um realizing she could be a therapist and 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 marnie saying screw desi i'm going out by myself just oh so beautifully satisfying in maybe an easier kind of way and the moment i'm glad to not think about ever again um uh the Marty singing and Charlie's work thing. <laughs> just like, just never, never again. It yeah. hurts. It hurts me so much. It's so awkward. It's, oh my God. I can't even, I can't even handle, can't even deal with it. Ugh. okay. It's really well done. They achieved their yeah, goal. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. like Hannah with the, with the Q-tips. Like you achieved right. your goal, but I can just, I, can we just wipe it from my brain now? Yep. Yeah. Well, this has been a a lovely conversation. Thank you, Caroline, for joining us. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Yeah, probably the best place is just on Twitter. I'm at Caroline Sita, S-I-E-Z-E. Um, come find me there. I always love chatting with people about girls. I feel like we've like, I mean, we've talked forever, but we've barely scratched the surface. Oh, yeah. So there's, just, there's so yeah. much more to discuss about girls. Like we didn't even talk about the music. We didn't right. like, we didn't really. T- yeah, there's, there's so much to dig into. Yeah. We barely said anything about Ray, who's fabulous. So, yeah. um, yes, come hit Caroline up on, on Twitter. Uh, hit me up on Twitter as well. Um, thank you, Caroline, once again for joining me here. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.